Men, special forces is a mistress. Your wives will envy her because she will have your hearts. Your wives will be jealous of her because of the power to pull you away. This mistress will show you things never before seen and experience things never before felt. She will love you, but only a little, seducing you to want more, give more, and to die for her. She'll take you away from the ones you love, and you'll hate her for it. But leave her, you never will. But if you must, you will miss her, for she has a part of you that will never be returned intact. And in the end, she will leave you for a younger man. James Ward, Office of Strategic Services. A quick disclaimer, the thoughts and opinions expressed on the Doored Up podcast are strictly those of the hosts and guests of the show and do not reflect official policies or viewpoints of any law enforcement, government, or public service entity, nor is the Doored Up podcast officially affiliated with said agencies. The Doored Up podcast contains mostly true stories told by the law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency medical services personnel, military veterans, and first responders who lived through them. Some names and details may have been changed to protect the anonymity of persons involved realize that some listeners may be familiar with these stories and we would encourage them to refrain from commenting with any clarifying details that might violate that anonymity listener discretion is advised hey everybody welcome back this is episode 19 of the doored up podcast called the cruel mistress I was very fortunate to jump back in and do an episode with some very good friends of mine that I consider some of my closest colleagues. We had Raleigh uh, as a new guest, Detective Jack as a new guest. Uh, Now Deputy Shannon is back for another episode as my always wonderful guest host. And uh, I'd like to introduce our very first fully named guest on the show from Skeleton Key Tactical, retired Sergeant Major Jason Beefley. Jason is uh, an incredible guy with a very remarkable career that I'm lucky to consider a friend. And without much convincing, he came in and sat down and let us pick his brain for a couple hours. And this is a great episode, so everybody buckle up, hang on, and enjoy the ride. Like, we're very careful when we talk about you because we've, we've been working together long enough that we've, we've generated a friendship with you. And I know there's a story right. about John when they went to SHOT Show and they were talking with the guys from TNVC. I don't know if you, have you heard this story? I've no. heard this. So no. uh, I've told this story to other people. I heard it secondhand from John. Talking so jo- to who? I can't remember the guy's name, but one of the guys from TNVC. And they were talking about like trying to set us up with like, you guys are buying, you know, $200,000 worth of night vision from us and, all the equipment that goes along with it. Like, what do you have for a training program set up? Right. Right. And so John's talking with him and he obviously like, John's not a name dropper, you know, wasn't like, right. You know, he's like, well, we have a guy that, that works with us that we have a relationship with He comes in every year and we spend a week training and they were like, well, who is it? And the guy just kept bugging him and hounding John. So finally he's like, it's Jason Beefley. And he's like, Oh man, like he's going to like, he, you're good. Well, he, you're, you're good. Like, <laughs> he's, you'll, he, you'll be taken care of. Like, That's it's funny. fine. I wonder who so, that guy was. I don't know. I, don't remember. I can't remember his name. I don't name. remember knowing anybody who, who worked there. Yeah, it was one of the guys. Uh, maybe he just knows you by reputation, mm. but... Um, that's that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't I hadn't heard that, <clears throat> or if I did, I don't remember. You'll have to ask John tomorrow. I'm sure he'll I be will. at the barbecue yeah. and ask him about yeah. that story. And he's, I I didn't uh, 
it's possible that I just forgot. That's the most likely thing. Yeah. Um, That's pretty funny. So <laughs> we have some new guests today, obviously. So I'll, I'll just kind of go around the room. Shannon's here, obviously, my A number one co-host. Jake's supposed to be here. We'll see if he actually shows up. Jake is Jake. We'll see if he... See if Jack shows up. Jack said he's on his way. He just texted me. So that'll be our other new guest. But to my left, we got good buddy Raleigh. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> this is the barrier that we always were like, what do I say? Um, so just real quick, give us a kind of a rundown of your background. Um, spent five years in the Marine Corps in a reconnaissance unit. Got out, worked as a firefighter paramedic in the Rocky Mountain region for a little while. And about 12 years in law enforcement um, in the same region. And now you're working... Oh. Any affiliation there? Uh, Raleigh is a, his enigma. <laughs> he is. Raleigh, when I first met him, he purposely wears his uniforms like three sizes too big so you don't know what you're messing with. <laughs> <laughs> then he gets his hands on you. Then oh, yeah. he goes to the gym and he puts on a, a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. Like, Hell yeah. I had no idea because you wear uniforms three sizes big. He <laughs> goes in there and just starts doing the old Marine pull-ups. Yeah. Just going to use that brute strength that is yeah, inherent in pretty much nice. every Marine I've ever met. <laughs> um, but we've worked, how long have you been on the team? I think about eight years now, roughly. That, that like sounds that. about right. Somewhere around there, seven, eight years. I'd, yeah. I don't remember. You were, you started out on entry. You were one of my dudes. Yep. You were my, my number two to me. So I was number two. You were number three for yep. a long time. And then you... Decided yeah, to. Once, once I switched roles, um, starting working more dope cases, I moved over toward the sniper side. Right. Um, some of it just worked out better logistically. Mm -hmm. um, more individualized, and I can do some of my own training. Right. Whereas due to time constraints with work, I wasn't able to make all those trainings consistently. Sure. So. Did you, Any background in the recon side with that, with sniper stuff? I did some de designated marksman stuff, but not really. Um, Aside from? tactics and... And working, that was, I mean, kind of the same, but not. Aside from the, in, like I said, we're talking about inherent abilities in the Marine Corps. Like, you guys qualify out to 500 open sites in your day and time, mm -hmm. which is. Yeah, we did. You know, I did 300 when I joined the Army. I don't remember any of that. You know. <laughs> you know, but still. They use, they use sites. They use, like, ACOGs. Yeah. They don't they iron they sight anymore. Now. Yeah. Just, right. Yeah. right. You know, from where we came from as young men like here's your m16a2 i had one that was i've told this story on the show before it was stamped uh general motors hydromatic division really yeah, our, yeah. our 50 cals were from general motors. so it was yeah. a converted wow. it was a converted a1 i got kind of obviously lucky, from so. vietnam I, and it had it had been solvent tanked so many times that it had no finish <laughs> on it i mean it was like shiny white, <laughs> white shiny yep in the white um so our other i'm um, I guess our main guest tonight is uh, Jason Beefley, who, I mean, if you do some background and digging on Jason, you can learn a bit about him. And if you want to find out more about Jason's background, feel free to dig around and listen. There's some other podcasts where you go way in depth about growing up in the Pacific Northwest and how you came up in the army. Yeah. Cause I did yeah, my research cause I, I listened to, I got on Apple podcasts okay. and I searched your name 
and was like, I'm going to listen to every other podcast that Jason has been on that I can find so that I don't make you repeat yourself. Because while you, while you do enjoy yeah. that sometimes. Yeah. I do. <laughs> I, I admit that, yes. I, I uh, was like, I don't want to... I have more questions and things that I would rather talk about as far as your background. Okay. Um, but if you want to hit the high points, go, feel free. Uh, well, I'm not doing dope cases and I'm not a sniper. <laughs> right. <laughs> we could say that. Yeah. Um, 25 years in the Army. I retired at Fort Bag. Uh, I still live in North Carolina. Married to my first wife, 34 years, three kids, that's, all in their late 20s. And that's saying or, something early for 30s. a 25-year yeah. Army career. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, um, yeah, my wife's awesome. Yeah. You need so, to bring her out sometime. One of these days. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. One of these days. Not during April. Anyway, I'm, I'm interrupting you. No, oh, no. It, and, uh, that's probably uh, Jack. It's all, <clears throat> that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. Like I grew up in the Northwest, went in the army in 84, re- uh, retired in 09 been self-employed doing training mostly since uh, about 14. Okay. Do you, you want to plug your. Your gig? My company's called Skeleton Key Tactical. Mm-hmm. If you find it on the web, just add .com at the end of that. Yeah. Um, There's it's Jack. Just a, uh, Jack, what's up? You can't eat pistachios <laughs> while we're doing a podcast. <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> you can't just as long as you don't crunch them in the mic. We already started without you, so just jump in. And you, real quick, we, we, we you had told me, a couple of years ago when you started up Skeleton Key, because it used to be Beefly Tactics and Training. Right, which was just a doing business as sure under my other company. Right. Yeah. But you had talked about the concept of the Skeleton Key. Right. Um, the, so that I, I actually stole it from another guy. We right. Were, we were doing some training, and uh, and he, he gave me permission to steal it. So um, one of my buddies and I and a couple other guys were doing a, kind of a – several instructor gig with uh, some military folks. And part of that included some door breaching, explosive type stuff. And so one day during the schedule, they were constructing those things. And right on our little instructor text group that we had for coordinating all the backside stuff, one of the guys came up and said, hey, where are all the, where are all the guys? And um, my other buddy texted back and said, oh, they're, they're doing construction. He's like, construction what are they making and he, he and this is all in a text i'm reading it you know right. one one after the next and he says skeleton keys <laughs> you know because the skeleton key opens any door and explosive charge opens any door and i went and found him about 10 minutes later and i was still laughing i'm like that's pretty damn clever mm-hmm. i think i'm gonna I've, I've been thinking about opening up a comp- another company just for training yeah and uh i might steal that and he's like yeah knock yourself out man no worries yeah so you've been doing that steady since 09 since uh, fourteen, I was. Okay. I've doing. I've, I've I've been doing some training one way or the other. S- some years as little as a week or two a year. Sure. Uh, since about oh six. Okay. Before I retired, and then uh, the 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 last full time job I had, <clears throat> I stopped in um, July of fourteen, and I. Okay. That that was the kind of the last straw for me, and I got off that phone call after I got laid off and told my wife I'm going to work for myself from now on and thus yeah. far it's worked yeah so go I interrupted you about background stuff again oh like, um I don't think I have much else to say uh you know I I, I kind of got into this whole training gig by accident I didn't really 
know what I wanted to do when I got out of the army and a friend of mine invited me to help him out with a class and I did a couple of those and then I did a few more and um, seemed like it was pretty cool. Sure. I was fortunate enough to have a couple of uh, senior, at the time, almost retired law enforcement guys like like senior sergeants and a couple of lieutenants, you know, give me some really positive feedback after doing a training course. Sure. And um, that, that kind of helped me realize that maybe maybe it's something I should do a little bit more of. Right. You know. My agency, people at my agency had kind of built a relationship with you through, used to be like sort of a Mountain States NTOA conference symposium thing that right, went on right. every year. And that... Tactical symposium. Exactly. And by the time that I got on the team and was like, made my way high up enough to where it was like, hey, I want to try to go to this, it had broken down and it, they yeah. weren't doing it anymore. Right. Exactly. Um, and that's kind of where my, I started learning about you from Mike, who right. was... right. When I started on patrol, Mike was my phase one and phase four field training officer. So he had me at the very beginning of field training. Okay. And then the very end, yep. I'm trying to, yep. I've, I've put a bug in Mike's ear a couple of times. Like, Hey man, like I got this podcast and he's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we all know Mike and we know that like, he's like, no, like yeah. no fucking way. Never, <laughs> never would I ever, <laughs> um, yeah. but he, you know, we had many conversations about you and, you know, I was like, well, I want to meet this guy eventually. And then we managed to work it out. I think 2015 was the first year that you came to us. I think I'd have to go back and count it. That sounds about right. I yeah. think so. Cause I was looking at, that's when we started taking team photos again, like all together as a team and mine okay. only go back to 15. Okay. And that was at a national guard base here in, oh, yeah. in the region that I remember that, that I had sp spent a lot of time at, you know, during my time growing up in the guard and I was like, Oh man, I have to go spend a fucking week there. <laughs> like that place is the biggest shithole. And I remember we were walking. It was like one of the first days that we were there. And, you know, of course, I'll, I'll tell the other story. Well, I guess I'll tell that story. So meeting you, like, obviously, like this guy's a retired sergeant major. So I am like, first time I walked up to you, like, nice to meet you, sergeant major. And you're like, looking around, like, you know, gave me like the. You know, Sergeant Major's my dad. Just call me Jason. You know, one of those types of things. And I was like, this guy is the most un-Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major I've ever met. Immediately, I was like, okay. Like, okay. I've heard that a couple of times from yeah. different people. Not, not even here. Right. This, with, this, with this group of people, but other places around the country. And yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, well, that's kind of the point. Right. And that's, you know, I was... I've been raised to pay respect to people that, you know, like if you retired at that rank, you earned that and I'm going to address you as such. And you were like, Hey man, like it's yeah. just Jason, like knock that shit off. It took three or four years to get Mike to stop. Oh yeah. <laughs> it yeah. Did. It did for a I've long time. I've even heard that. I've even heard that. Yeah. That yeah. Was, yeah. And, uh, so anyway, we're at this national guard camp and it's a shithole and we're walking to the chow hall and we went and ate chow and we're walking back to the, the shoot house where we were at and I was walking with you and I think Mike and I remember you would be like wow that was pretty shitty chow and I'm like man if a 25 year you know like tier one dude is like that's shitty chow 
then that's probably bad. pretty shitty job. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got a pretty good baseline yeah, of like bad. it was pretty bad. Because I do remember yes. that. Yeah, because I had a when me and Shannon deployed in 04, 05, we had three Vietnam vets in our platoon, and they were old hats, like, and they were still in the guard, you know, still doing their time, and uh, one of them was an E six, and he was in logistics he was in the s3 shop and uh we're sitting out because they'd go out and sit on the front porch and smoke cigars you know and one of them had a pipe and they'd smoke a pipe so i was out there smoking with them and staff sergeant was like you know the army sent me to some pretty shitty places in my life he's like but baghdad so far is the worst <laughs> and i was like why he's like well man like you know in vietnam like the environment was completely different. We had a lot more leisure activities and refreshment and things along those lines. Like Nam was just way different. Like this sucks. <laughs> right, right. It's like, yeah, Baghdad does suck. So I take you're just more than your average eleven Bravo. What's that? You're more than just an eleven B. Right, average right. I, I was a tier one operator for seventeen years, and then while I was there, I went to the Q course and became an eighteen Charlie. Okay. Engineer. Sergeant MOS. Okay. Um, and then I went. Then I went straight back to where I was working before, and that was that was kind of it wasn't interesting. There's just kind of a halfway humorous side note because SF at the time was uh, making some changes to how they considered people qualified, and so they this is when they first started mandating the language qualifications. Oh yeah. Because in the before that it was you know. Finish the Q course, go to your group, and then at some point you'll you'll get a language later on. Well, they, I think there was, and I'll probably say so, somebody listening to this is gonna is gonna crucify me for saying this incorrectly because I don't remember chapter and verse, but it was something like they weren't getting the the uh, language qualifications at the level of proficiency that they wanted them. So they started saying, "Well, you're not gonna be operational." We'll give you your tab to put on your uniform, but you're not getting your actual orders that you're completing the course until you have your language certification. Okay. And I wasn't going to language school because I, you know, and I was like, looked at the, I looked at the guy and was like, um, I've been operational for three years already, like four miles down the road. <laughs> this isn't going to work. I'm leaving today. Right. I'm not going to language school. And he had just been misinformed. Right. So it's just kind of one of those things. But that's so one of our that's good a side story. It didn't really uh, unrelated to what you're talking about, but it's, it's yeah. somewhat humorous. That's one of our friends is uh, I think he's a uh, 18 Bravo with some other designators on there. He's been on the show. He's a good friend of ours. And he went through the D lab and had to do initially he was supposed to do Russian. And then they changed some tasking to his group and he had to learn. Basically, he didn't score high enough on the whatever. They do like the D-Lab screening test. Right, right. And they were like, oh, you're going to learn French instead. So he learned French and he's still fluent to this day. Um, and then that was a long school when he went through. Because he tried to get me to go with him. Because oh, yeah. he went through, he's, still, he's a National Guard Green Beret. So there's, I think, two groups that have right. units that are National Guard, you know, one weekend a month, two weeks a year, but they're fully operational, you know, same qualifications as everybody else, active right. duty, but they're National Guard. Yeah. Um, and he's been there for ever, since 07. I think he started yeah, the Yeah, because we came back in 2005, and he was... It would have been 06 is when he started. He was gone for a long time. Yeah. He'd come home, he'd know he was home, then he'd be gone for 
know. We, I mean, like months years, at a time. Months, years, yeah. But the, the D-Lab course was like six months or something for him to learn to speak fluent French. And they just like take all these, you know, hard-nosed Green Berets, soon-to-be Green Berets, and stick them in a room with a little old lady from the south of France for several months. And just like they'd go on field trips and, you know, she just talked to them in French until they started to pick it up. Like there's a way that they... There's a right. lot of science right. between it, like how they figured it out to teach yep. people a new language. So, yeah. But so how did you, that's how you came to like start working with NTOA. How did that come about? Well, okay. So it actually was an NTOA. That was uh, that thing in, in was a, uh, a tactical symposium put on by a guy privately. Oh, okay. And, I um, thought it was NTOA. No, no, it was uh he might have had an affiliation with them later on, but in the beginning, it was uh, um, some guys that I had done some training with and became friends with. Sure. And he knew my name, and I met him a couple times, and so he calls me up one day, and he goes, hey, I'm gonna do th- here's what I'm going to do, and um, can you come out and, you know, do a presentation? And I was like, um, sure. You know, when is this? And he told me. It was a few months away, maybe six months down the, down the road. It, it would have been, like, in September or October. So we were probably talking in March or April. Okay. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, and he goes, he goes, here's the format. You got to do roughly a two hour presentation once a day for like three, maybe four days. Okay. And, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, okay, um, what do you want me to talk about? And he goes, man, whatever you want. And I said, well, can I get a, an idea? He goes, (laughs) bro, you can talk about whatever you want. Right. I said, Okay. I'm not exactly sure what to do with that. Right. It's kind of a, you guys know me well enough to know that that's a dangerous proposition. (laughs) When will he finally shut up? (laughs) Right. But, uh, you know, so he goes, look, I'm, I'm calling you because a bunch of these guys that I know that have done a few classes with you, you said, just call me and let me talk about whatever I want. And I said, okay, well, this is, this is dangerous for you, but I'll, I'll take you up on it. And, and so Mike and uh, John and Ken were in the first the first one I'd ever did, mm-hmm. and the room emptied out, and the three of them came up and introduced my, themselves and shook my hand and invited me to lunch, and yeah, we've been friends ever since. The rest is kind of history. There's three, two or three more of those after that, and they were there every year. Yeah, um, and then he was doing those in September every year, and then um, I think it was the third or the fourth year I don't remember, and uh, like hey. Uh, think we want to have you come out after the after the winter breaks maybe and do some training in the spring mm-hmm. okay that, that's cool yeah and um that that happened that april and then another april and then and then we moved to june and yeah because we were just you know, talking about jason came over for dinner and we were talking about how the first two years that we did it was like yeah april should be decent weather and the no the first year that we did it they blamed me for not. it the first year that we went down to it was nice it was hot i remember it was hot and then the year after that, it was just completely shit. Like, it rained and snowed the whole week. We got, like, I think one of those days, we got, like, three or four inches of snow overnight. We were trying to figure out how we are going to shovel off the range. So yeah. And, and it was like, and moving drills. well, you know what? Like, when we're out doing it in the real world, we don't have a chance to shovel the snow off. And there's been plenty of times that we've been out there slogging away in the rain and everything else. I was like, well, fuck it. We'll just put on our Gore-Tex and hope for the best and had our hobo fire out there and... We still, I mean, how many training days a year? Like it'll tend, it tends to be, we train every other Wednesday and the shittiest day of the week will be Wednesday. 
never no, I'm fails. sure we, we have far more shittier days than we do summer days around here. Anyway. Yeah. So such a short, nice season. So. Yeah. But then in the last, I don't know, four or five years, we moved it to June, which is, you know, I, I talked to Jason last year about coming and sitting in on the podcast when I just, we had just gotten started and was talking to him about it. I was like, listen, I, I honestly have no fucking clue what I'm doing podcasting, but I would love to have you and just pick your brain for an hour on tape, you know? And the last several years, it's just been miserable hot during, we call it SWAT week. And it's just been fucking brutal. This year we've, we've had some couple days indoors and wasn't bad. Today was nice. We were inside all day today, but it's pretty hot today. We were, I think we've got 20, I'm not exactly sure exactly how many people we've got this year actually training with us. But yesterday, as of end of yesterday, which was Wednesday, we'd gone through 19 cases of water, which is a fair amount. And only like two IV bags, which is good. That's usually a, a record low, I think, because usually dudes are like, I'm just going to get a bag in the morning just to plus me up, just because we've got, we got a couple gingers on the team that, you know, got to keep them hydrated. It has been cooler, though, than the last couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's been, been a very pleasant. Been pretty nice. Comparatively. I won't, I won't ever complain about having decent range weather. So let's get our late arrival here introduced. Make him talk. Yes. So our, our other new guest is Officer Jack. I've been humping his leg for months about coming in and sitting down. So if I've been if humping his leg for months <laughs> trying to make him my friend. But he never <laughs> wants to hang out with me. <laughs> the world's worst friend. Yeah. So Jack, I've mentioned Jack many times, um, just in passing on the show. He's my assistant team leader on on the SWAT team, and I rely on him very heavily for his insight. And we we go back and forth, and you're like my a number one dude anymore, which is great. And we were, I mean, today we've got a super young team um, for our entry team, and we were talking today about there was one point in the iteration today where. I was sitting out just observing, and I have been all week, which is good for me as a leader to diagnose a lot of things that are going on with my team. But there was one point where a good portion of the team got separated from Jack, and I could see there was like this panic moment where they were like, well, we don't exactly know what we're supposed to do because nobody's telling us where to go and how to do what we're doing. And they figured it out. They, they worked it out, but there was... And, you know, Jason always watches, like, from the sideline. Like, he's not going to say anything. He lets us lead our guys the way that that we need to handle shit. And it was, like, they broke away from each other. And got two dudes on in one room and three guys, like, standing at the doorway of another room. Like, well, should we go? What, what, what do we do? And I'm like, same thing that always applies that I always tell you. Right or wrong, I don't give a fuck. Just make a decision, and commit, and stick with it. So figure your shit out. Like, I'm not even here. Like, you don't even see me. Figure your shit out. They're like, okay. And they did, and it worked out. It's so. different than in our previous SWAT weeks because of that. Yeah. Uh, I guess I took so much for granted from through the years of just operating. We all got on the... Yeah, we got to get a little closer. There we go. Uh, <laughs> from the last seven years with Jason and really being with a, we'll say, core group that yeah, probably didn't change too drastically through the years. Right. To really... Probably today, it just really hit me like these guys. This is their first SWAT week, second SWAT week, and uh, some of them, it's like 
I mean only the third or fourth training that they've been to. Because, yeah. like, Mike got on the team in January, and then he blew out his hamstring. Yeah. Like, I mean, within a week of him getting, like, you are finally blessed and off of, like. Yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah. Because he, I mean, there's some administrative issues there that I won't go into. I won't speak to that shit because Mike's not here to defend himself. Anyway. Um, they finally gave him like the holy blessed, okay, you're allowed to be on SWAT. You're allowed to be operational and go to training every two weeks. And he's beyond elated because the dude has switched on. Yeah. I mean, he's a little fucking Roger Ramjet. Like the guy just, he wants to yep. do everything. Yep. And um, then he blew out his hamstring and he's been out since March, February, I think, somewhere yeah, in there. January, Several February. Months. Yeah, and so he's just now getting to the point where he's allowed to, like, come hang out at training, and this is, I was like, I want him there for SWAT week, whether he's able to participate in everything or not, I want him there, and then we've got Dexter, who's a brand new guy, Mm -hmm. Um, Ben is, he got selected last year, uh, went through SWAT week last year, and then, yeah, so we've got a handful of brand new guys, like, on our team, because Tony left, Bart left, and then that left us, like, our two next senior dudes, you know, under me and Jack, and that bumped everybody up, you know, from, like, guys that were, like, I've been on the team for a year or two years. You know, Casey, he'd been around for a, a few years, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden Casey's number three. And it's like, oh, shit, and which made him automatically the gas guy. So we've had to do a lot of, like, learning as we go, rolling with the punches and, like, figuring shit out. Like, yep. And I'm learning, like, putting my guys in new roles – how to assess that and be like, you know, I, I need to make sure that they understand what they're doing. Um, but I don't want to get in their way because everybody's got their own style of how they like to be led, you know, and it's. The one yeah. one thing I'd like to add to that, uh, these guys are coming up now, like from when I got on the team, I always tell the story. Like I think I was issued my ACUs and it was just a year. You and I came on a year apart, mm-hmm. Raleigh. And there was a call and I showed up to it through the ACU play carrier over and they turned to me and like, what are we going to do? SWAT guy. <laughs> and like, I had no idea what to do. Right. The, one, the encouraging thing about these guys now, <clears throat> uh, Todd, Mike. Oh yeah. Todd, ben, Todd's Dexter, another new guy is where they're coming in at and what they have. Cause how much more time do I have on the team? How much more time does Raleigh or you have on the team? Like the sun is set on us being on the team. And where these guys are coming in at and <clears throat> getting this, excuse me, getting this the exposure to Jason, exposure to the culture. Like, I, th- it, I feel that these guys are light years ahead of where I was at coming onto the team. Oh, yeah. The first couple months or year or two. Yeah. I think that's been, it's encouraging, I guess, is all I'm saying about that is. Yeah. Like, a lot of that comes with, like, cultural changes of the team itself. Yeah. I mean, we, we had a very, very conventional militaristic team Mm -hmm. before yeah and it's changing more toward operated based operator based where you're just like everybody knows the job the job in front of them the job in front of them the job in front of them and you're expected to make that call when it's time to make that call right so it's stepping up in a difference in training yeah which jason has brought which is pretty amazing yeah that that responsibility that i was deferred to that i didn't had no idea i had upon my shoulders and didn't know what to do with either but these guys already, Mike and Ben, I'm sure Dexter and Todd, take yep. that responsibility and are already far beyond where I was at as a 
one or two year guy on the team. So yeah, it's just even this week and you know Very seeing cool. that it's just been really great. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, anybody who listens to the show all the time, I I brag on our team all the time. Like we got a shit hot switched on team that our our capabilities. Um, and I'm, it's not just bragging like are above and beyond any other team in our region by far. I mean, we have an MOU with all the surrounding counties and then some of the ones that are even further away that we've, we've done stuff. I've fielded phone calls for places that are 200 miles away calling me, you know, like, Hey, I got your number from so-and-so. I know that you're the guy to talk to. Like we've got this situation going on. Uh, this happened just recently. That's cool. And they're like, Here's what we've got going. And so me and Bart sat down. You know, Bart used to be my number three. And when I was an ATL, and then he was the ATL when I got promoted up to TL before he left. And then we moved Jack up to ATL. But we sat down because Bart's now, he's the, he's the boss beneath the boss. So he's like, he, ultimately he has command decision of when the team goes out, um, which is great having like a former team guy in those him and John, both of them, it's, I can't speak to the volume of like having leaders that understand how we operate and what we do above us at the administrative level, being able to be like, no, my guys aren't going to do that. You know, cause I can step in like, no, that's not going to happen. So me and Bart are on the phone with this police chief. Who's like an interim chief. He's been in like sitting for a couple months. He's like, here's the situation that we've got. And he lays it out for us. And, by the time we finally get to the, like, well, A, we won't operate and come up there and do what we need to do without an arrest warrant for this guy. So figure out what you're going to charge him with and then call me back. Like, get on the phone with your county attorney. You should already have done that. Right. And that was one of those, like, well, and the other thing is, is that he is in a region that's covered by another team. And that's a tactical response team, you know, like a smaller level team as far as NTOA breaks it down. So I said, have you called my friend Austin? Austin's been on the show before. Good buddy of mine. We deployed together. He was one of my junior junior enlisted guys when I was a team leader. Okay. Okay. So we go back a long ways, and I absolutely trust his abilities. So as I'm talking with this guy, I'm texting Austin like, hey, did you get a call from this chief? And he's like, no, I didn't. About what? Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, you have Damn. my attention. So I told that chief, I was like, listen, I don't want anyone to think like, we don't know each other, but I'm just going to tell you, I don't want, I don't want anyone to accuse you of team shopping. So you call the team that is responsible for your AO and talk to them first. And if it's above their capabilities then absolutely call me back. I was like, but that's a conversation you guys need to have amongst yourselves. And he was like, Oh, Oh, well, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, well, like, of course, you know, I'm not trying to be rude. You know, I'm trying to be tactful and talk to this guy that I don't know. That's a chief that like, who knows what's going to go wrong if I tell this guy, like, hey, man, you're fucking up. Right. Um, so he gets hold of Austin. They sort that out, and quickly their county attorney's like, well, we're, we want to charge him with, I can't remember what it was, but it was a misdemeanor. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I hate to do this to you, but we're not coming 120 miles hauling ass with my whole team to come fuck up a house, you know, put gas in there, break property, and possibly use force and kill this guy for a misdemeanor, period. It does right. not meet our matrix. Right. And he's like, oh, okay. So I'm like, I'm going to send you a copy of our matrix. And I want you to look at it just so you have it. Like, 
keep it. It's yours to keep just so you kind of understand where, like how we break it down when we're looking at a spontaneous incident or a pre-planned operation, because we have two different matrices. We have one for pre-planned ops. We have one for spontaneous, you know, high risk warrants and stuff that pops up. And we've, we've built that over the years for exactly that type of situation where an agency calls us like, Hey man, like we're in the shit. We don't quite know what to do. Like, well, here's what we, how we can respond to whatever you got going on. So it's just, it's funny to have those connections, you know, years later. So I'm I'm sure Austin will listen to this and laugh. He's a, a regular fan of the show, but it was like, Hey man, I don't mean to step on this guy's dick, but did he call you? It's like, no. I completely forgot where I was going with that, but um, having just your, your quality of your team and the quality of the right. SRT team and the, for the region, how, Oh yeah. Yeah. Ours is not even mine. I'm not on it, but for our agencies is an elite group of SRT. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would absolutely agree with that, that I would put our team up against like, we're not a full-time team, right? So we don't get paid to go to the gym. Like me and Jack have that conversation all the time. Like, yeah, if I was a full-time SWAT guy, I'd be in the gym every day. But we got caseload. Jack's a detective. It's Detective Jack, not Officer Jack. I I misspoke earlier. (laughs) Um, We got plenty of other shit going on with our daily responsibilities that like sometimes SWAT falls by the wayside. And I guess springboarding into that, I've, I've had, I would say this year has been a struggle for me and you guys have seen it this week. So just for some context, like I blew the fuck up yesterday. I did some very unprofessional shit. I had a blow up with my other team leader in front of the other team. It wasn't a blow up. Like I lost my shit. <laughs> like I completely overreacted to something that was so stupid. And, uh, it's just communication errors and shit like that. And I had to do the right thing and own that in front of the rest of the team and like, Hey, listen, I fucked up the day before that because I did some punitive shit and made everybody run because I didn't think that they were meeting what I thought should be their capabilities. And that was wrong of me. So I had to like hat in hand, get down and eat some crow in front of the whole team. And I, I, at the end of the day, like I lost sleep over that on Tuesday night was like, man, I fucked up. I did something stupid. So I'm, I'm learning how my, my role as a team leader is changing and how to work with the team instead of like make the team work for me. So it's, it's different than, you know, my military experience as a junior leader and it's just things have completely changed. The team culture's changed. Um, cause it used to be like that when we first started on the team, the, the team leader, the senior team leader that was in charge, like if you fucked up, you shot out, like you're doing pushups right there. Like you drop, and you're knocking out push-ups, or it would be run a lap and kit, shit like that. And it made everybody miserable because it was like, man, fuck that guy. Like, Was the performance any better then? No, I, I would say it was like the same. Like, yeah, you learned. Like, okay, yeah, I fucked up. But like Tyler said yesterday, he's like, listen, man, nobody's going to be harder on me when I fuck up and I shoot a hostage target or I shoot out and make him have a miss or I fuck something up and like something that in the real world would have a potential to get one of you guys killed. Like nobody's going to be harder on me than me internally. I was like, okay, that's fair. Cause I'm the same. We're all the same way. That's basically, I mean, that that's a change of culture. Right. I hugely change of culture. Like 
we have such a close community with most of the dudes on the team that, like, yeah, I, I let myself down, but I don't want to let you guys down. Right. right. I think that's a huge change where, as before, right, it was very punitive. And like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to mess up because yep. of whatever, we'll call it retaliation, I'm going to receive, right? Right. So, well, big when difference. You, and do some of that punishment also. Like, it can get – people may – start to conceal some of their flaws or yeah. some of the areas where, or be more apprehensive to step out of that comfort zone mm-hmm. and take their take their level in training to the point that they fail, whether it's a shooting drill, whatever it might be. And they may not push as hard as we would like them to. They may not find where they're you know, operationally sound or be able to grow because they're not failing forward. Right. You know, and, you know when it's, they're afraid of having to run a quarter mile in kit, they may – yeah, it, it creates animosity. Yeah, it may create a culture where people are going to conceal mistakes or start stack that, that we start all stack ha- that we all have. You know? That's what we used to call it. Um, call on, it a, on old teams, stack hiding. Yeah, you'd, you'd hide back three, four man, five man out of the stack mm-hmm. to make sure you're not the first person right. in the room. You're not the one getting the shots off. You're not right. I don't have to be accountable if I just hide in the back of the stack. Exactly. Yeah, right. You, you don't, don't have, have to be that as problem. good. Everybody else is going in front of you. Right. Exactly. Right. And so I can sit back. I can watch everybody do. I can pick up a door. I can pick up whatever, and you're like something easy, like oh, I got rear. Cool. I you got know, rear security. I got rear security. I got rear security. Right. I'm not getting punished anymore, and it drastically decreases the performance of the team because they're not stepping up. They're not putting themselves in new areas. Yeah. I think a lot of this because they're afraid of that punitive measure. Right. Yeah. I, I agree, uh, and like, and I get I, you guys know all. I, probably point more things out to people and try to have a good time with things. And sometimes I probably go overboard and right. make people self-conscious. And I got to be very conscientious of that myself. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, any good relationship, you know, to talk to anybody, it's a role four to one, right? We need four positives minimum. Yeah. The one per- perceived negative to build that person up or to get that, you know, that, that good point. That, yeah. That, that out of them. And we're no different. On the team, we're no different. It's no different than yep. any relationship we have in our in our life. Like, it's all negative. And I think some of that. <clears throat> I was only on a team. I think for, I think Jason, seven years. You've been coming to help us. I I, I lost we're, track. We were talking yeah. about that right before you got here. I think we're yeah, seven think to eight it, years somewhere. Yeah, I, I think I think this for is about a year. And like when we when that culture switch, and I don't have a long history as a culture prior to that. Uh, but it took a guy like me who doesn't have the military experience. You guys, so room clearing was what I learned from academy or YouTube videos or talking to somebody that have gone through some stuff and would teach me on the side and right. stuff like that. But it allowed me to be that guy that would step up to the front of the the front door, the front of the door there, stick or stack, whatever you want to call it. Even though my level of experience was below everybody else because if I – Went the wrong. If I did, if I made a mistake, I wasn't criticized. It was this would be better, or it right. was handled in a in a way that didn't make me go to. I can't recall what you called it, but stack hiding or yeah. <laughs> no, I guess. you're too big to hide in a stack. In the first place. <laughs> right, right. And besides, if that was six, seven years ago, it was anabolic outlaw days. <laughs> that was too big to correct anyway. That was that was that was big jack. That was a, that was a smash. Those were the smash days. <laughs> so we talked about wearing a uniform that was three sizes too big to, to hide what he was. I know where this is what going. Was, what was what he was capable of? Jack is the opposite of that. He wants a uniform that's like a size and a half too small. 
to just it just yeah. fits better. <laughs> I don't I don't snag up so much. That's you know. right. Yeah, <laughs> gotta hit those. those when bumper. you move as fast as I do, <laughs> gotta hit those yeah. bumper dips before you go on calls. Uh, there was I don't know how many times. <laughs> short, still yes. to this day, His like short sleeve shirts were tailored extra tight. <laughs> I tailored. I never heard there was a thing as a bumper dip. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but I well, always when you have them. things like you know we call them, they're affectionately called badge bunnies. Some of us like to be a little bit of. Swolled up before we go into the, right, the house. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's always funny, like when I when I interact and get to work with Jack, like out on the street as opposed to in a SWAT role, and like he'll show up somewhere and people are just like, Jesus fucking Christ, this guy's gonna snap me in half. <laughs> or you get the opposite because you guys know Chad, he's my lieutenant. Like Chad is a large American. And it ne- I, he was my patrol sergeant for many years when I worked on patrol. And he's huge. Yeah. And people, it never ceased to amaze me. Like, you get these 19-year-old armor-plated, drunk-as-shit, public intox kids. And Chad would walk up there, and they're like, yep, I'm going to climb that tree. Yep. And they decide they're going to just, like, <laughs> twist off on Chad, and he just grab a hold of him and fucking squish him in a, you know, meat waffle. And uh, it's just like, Why? Wow. I could talk wow. talk about that my entire life. I bet. I've experienced that. I bet. In college or on the street, and I don't know why. Because you're, you're what, 6'4", like, probably, probably about six four. Two, f- 2 what now? Oh, 230. Right 230, yeah. yeah. But You're not a small man. In college, it, the funny thing about that. So give us a little bit about your background first. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story. Okay. Uh would be out, and it would just be that situation. I don't know why this person would choose to target me. I assumed it had something to do with what you just right discussing. Like, I have something to prove to the world. And I remember this one time, like, <laughs> I pull back to punch this dude, and then my cutoff buddies that are with me, they come in before I could even make a move, and mm. they're doing this <laughs> to this guy. And I'm just like, I had to fight very few of my own fights, even those situations, because all the all the guys that match the guys that were coming would jump in and right. handle the situation for me. So, yeah, that was a uh, yeah. It's a uh, it, it's been a it's also been a dynamic I saw in my professional, not just my police career, my prior career. Uh, worked with adolescent youth, mental health, behavioral health, and uh, pretty severe. Right. And uh, was that in like a, a group home scenario? Yeah, a group home. Um, and one of the last teams that I had. A lot of the guys, how how I got to this point where uh, a collegiate ba- couple of collegiate baseball players, one guy had signed with the Marlins, mm-hmm. uh, high school wrestlers, like uh, high school football players, and they were all gra- college graduates. Or sure. uh, one guy had his own construction company, but I think he was a state state level wrestler in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we worked with some ver- very traumatized youth, uh, very aggressive, very violent, and. When these guys were around, we had more incidents of aggression towards them right. or towards one another because I think it also they also perceived like, hey, I mean they were built like us. Like, sure, this guy's gonna, these two guys are gonna jump in to save me if I attack my peer. Oh, okay. You know, but when uh, when the female staff were around, and maybe it was just two female staff and one of the male staff. Mm-hmm. Like the level of aggression was 
normally down. There could still be problems, sure. but the direct aggression where they're actually being violent towards one another, towards a staff member, would decrease. Hmm. And I, I don't somebody That's interesting. With a, somebody with a, yeah. a bunch I of letters out their name could probably explain that to sure. me better. But I've, ex- I've experienced that element my entire life and how now these guys that I would never, I'd never want to fight a single one of them. Like, sure. I'm going to come out a loser to some degree. Yeah. Some, somehow they're going to, I'm going to get hurt. Right. Yeah. And, uh, these, these guys would target them, be aggressive towards them, towards That's one another. So the same thing on the street in, yeah. in my law enforcement career, it's, uh, it, maybe it's just my perspective. It might be flawed, but, uh, it, it seems like it's been right. that. like I show up like, I don't think I run my mouth too much. <laughs> <laughs> too much. Well, no, I think no, that's just your smile. There, there, there is tough. no smile here. <laughs> but yeah, so I, you know, I when I started at the jail, I was 22 years old, and I weighed about 160 pounds, same height I am now, five ten, five nine, five ten. I was scrawny, and I never like there was a few times where I was confronted directly, physically me, you know, like, but I, I like to credit that with, you know, communication skills. Cause it's, I'm not afraid of a fight, but I just didn't get into as many fights as other people did. And like, part of it is, is just how you treat people. And right. we've talked at length about that, about like, listen, just cause they're in jail doesn't mean they're not human, you know, or out on the street just cause they're in a shit situation. They've, they've got a, they're living below the poverty line. You're dealing with them for whatever reason. They're an addict. Like, doesn't mean they're not human. Like, right. sometimes shit needs to be dealt with the way it needs to be dealt with. But right. talking with people like they're human. And I, I absolutely wouldn't have those communication skills if I hadn't done my time in the jail. Yeah. Because I was up there for five, six years. And that, it, it took mm-hmm. me a couple months to knock the rust off. But <laughs> I feel pretty good now. Yeah. I, mean, I started February 6th, and I was like... Ooh, I haven't done this for ten years. Yeah, I kind of know what I'm doing. And this but. is this is your first show back since you've you've been I back. Think so yeah, at the jail for we a couple to, years. We had to for do a couple uh, months before that. I had to, I was still working for the police department, so we were kind of keeping it on the down low. And yeah, I think very cryptic, but yeah. So I, I think I think when Brad, the last show we did with Brad, yeah. um, that we we let the cat out of the bag that you were leaving and going back to the jail, like moving back into your old bedroom. <laughs> right. So now being June since February, I feel pretty good. I'm pretty confident. Right. I'm comfortable now. It's like, Oh, this is how it used to be. This is fun. Yeah, for sure. You know, I like to run my mouth. It's fun. Right. I, I look a lot of this as sales. Oh yeah. We got to know our, our You're a salesman. We are salesmen. And, uh, I've had people tell me like, I don't believe you. I don't believe I just heard that come out of your mouth. Yeah. I'm not saying like aggressive, or, but the various tactics or what I might say to somebody to talk them into handcuffs or into my car or during an interview, or during an interview, like it wouldn't be the way we're sitting here talking right now. Like it has, it's in the moment and I don't know how this else to describe it, but we do have an end objective in our yep. job and you know, we want to meet that objective. We're all pretty motivated to, put the bad guy in prison or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, save the victim, get the services, whatever it might be. But in order to get to that end goal, like we're, we're salesmen. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. you have to develop that, that vocabulary. You got to v- understand how to read people. Um, I do think my previous career helped me a lot with that because this is very similar to 
what you well what you came up in and what you're back to, Shannon, being in being in jail. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a uh, there were facilities that they were court ordered to, and right. they weren't locked like a prison. My facilities weren't locked like a prison, but they we're they're under our care, and sure. they, we weren't allowed to let them leave. Mm-hmm. You know, these people go on the street, and you know they're stealing cars, and mm-hmm. high, you know state troopers are in pursuits with them right. out there. I mean, they have no means to, they're violent. They're behaviorally mentally ill. Uh, so they're impulsive. Like they'll go out and you're, you're kind of an oddity in the law enforcement world. Cause you came into it later in life. Yep. Like you, I mean, you were in your thirties when you came to work mm-hmm. in law enforcement. Yeah, 30, like 35. Yeah. 35 or sworn when I was 36. I can't remember. Yeah. Cause I mean, most of us came into it relatively young yeah. well i mean shannon is kind of the same way that like statistically like for military vets that mm-hmm. end up going into law enforcement i was like i said i was 22 mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm only a few years away from retirement and i'm not even 40 don't rub it you know don't well rub. let me hold on don't rub that. let me let me say this I'm, I'm a few years away from retirement eligibility right doesn't mean that i'm going to be able to retire or right. want to you get that first one in yeah yeah, I got I'm, one down. I'm pretty jealous of that. <laughs> yes, Shannon just retired from the guard. As I a, got a, I got an email that says my effective date for an honorable discharge is May thirtieth. Hmm. I just haven't received all the official paperwork yes. yet. I did get an email though. That's that's nice. that's an accomplishment, man. Mm-hmm. Like I did seven years um, active. Supposed to do six, and they kept me for an extra year. And after that, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this organization anymore. And in reality, I think if I had just changed units and, you know, the last episode that I did, I, I, I went out for a ruck and I took my recorder along with me and I talked a lot about values and I ran through the old army values, you know, the old LDR ship, like what that breaks down to and how I interpret that and how I talk about that and how it affects my life and the decisions that I make and how I, how I choose to guide my own path. And I learned, I can say, I talked at the end of that about leadership as a whole and specifically toxic leadership and how it can poison people. Like and it will affect them for the rest of their life. And I'm mean, kicking back to the conversation I had about me fucking up the last couple days of like I was doing some dumb shit as a leader that I shouldn't have been doing that other leaders did to me when I was a young man that was like fuck that guy I'm never gonna do like he's gonna put it on paper you want me to do something for you put it on fucking paper like so you know toxic leadership is no it's anywhere Mm -hmm. corporate world Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. law enforcement (laughs) and the military I would say more specifically that I've experienced because that's my world I'm sure it's no different in big army and where you were at, Jason, that you had, you know, I'm sure it was, we have fewer cases of it. I'm sure like that, that tends to weed itself out, you know, the the, most part, for the most part, you know, the more I would say high risk, you know, the people that are doing things that you did like that tends to weed itself out relatively quickly. Like those people, for the most part. those people are in other places in the, in the army. Like they're fucking with guys like me. <laughs> I was, you know, when I was right. a young man in the, in the getting deployed and shit like that. But I'm sure there's no, there's no shortage of leadership failures, you know, but 
so you were a team sergeant for how many years? Like in charge of three. Okay. Yeah. Three out of my 17 years in that, in that organization. Okay. And let me, before I forget, cause I will, I just want to comment on the last thing you said that, you know, there's, there's plenty of good leaders who are solid sure. and they're conscientious and their hearts in the right place that make mistakes. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I, I mean, it's, it just, you know, not everybody's perfect all the time and you've yeah. got to have a, you've got to have a very, very, and sometimes, um, they don't even make a mistake because they're making a decision based on what they know at their level, right. and which they don't have time to explain to people at our level, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, you find out years later that all this other stuff was going on. There was all this turmoil. Sure. And they, got, they basically got handed the option of the least, the, the decision has to be the least of four bad, really, really bad things. Right. Like, which is the, all of my guys are going to think I'm terrible. Yeah. You know, the devil himself mm-hmm. by, from any of these decisions. And you still have to pick one because that's what you're, that's what you're left with. Right. You know, it, um, and we've, <clears throat> I, I'd like to say that, you know, some of your guidance and the, the things that we've learned from you, you know, talking from, I mean, you have more tactical experience. You forgot about more tactical experience than <laughs> I'll ever have real world. Um, but just little anecdotal things that you, you always like, I'll tell you the story, you know, like you'll interject stuff. And I always try to like, there's things that I remember that you told me, you know, seven, eight years ago right. that I'm like, right, man, I don't ever want to be that type of, you know, whatever. I don't want to fuck up like that guy that Jason told me about in that story. Even if it's just something small. Um, because like, if you're doing it on a scale that you're at where, you know, lives hang in the balance. I mean, lives hang in the balance, you know, I would say to a relative degree in the same way that we operate uh, when we're doing it in the real world. Um, but it was just like, I don't know. I don't want to say that there's prestige in what you did. I don't want to, like, put you on a pedestal. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want that either. Right, and I know you wouldn't. You're the, probably one of the most humble dudes I've ever met. Um, you haven't written a book? <laughs> no, no, he's not a. He no. wasn't a seal. No, I, I haven't. <laughs> I went through buds. Like anytime I pick up a book that was written by a seal, like okay, let's skip that first hundred fifty pages where they're talking about how how badass they were and how buds was the hardest thing. Which kudos to all of those dudes. I worked with guys from several of the. We, me and Shannon worked with several of those guys when we were in Baghdad because we wound up on the most hope, high profile mission in Iraq at the time. All of them in 05. right? Um, and right. here we were a national guard, army national guard unit, field artillery unit from, you know, our rural mountain state. And it was like, you're fucking with me, right? Like we're going to be working with MPs. Yeah. Right, like right. somebody's got to do it. We're going to be guarding the Iraqi interim government. Like, are you fucking serious? We don't know shit about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> it turned we, out to be great by the way. And I'm it sure. was, I'm fun sure time. it was amazing. We I'm had, sure. so, it was so much fun. I have an autographed picture of Dr. Awood Alawi, the interim prime minister. Yeah. 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 Say that, that name very again. Cool. And he cool. didn't, he didn't care. I, it was a time, it was a time magazine. <laughs> I, like, cut it out. I walked up and said, and he was more than happy to sign it. It was Really relaxed. You guys had the fucking chill. gig over there at First Platoon, though. Certainly like, did. You guys had the fucking, the whole staff at the house loved all you guys. You got anything you wanted. 
Yeah. We were stuck in Heineken. The, yeah. We were fucking, <laughs> we were in the ghetto over where we were at. But no, I, I it, lived quite well for that time. If Shannon has a skill, it's to make things comfortable. Oh, yes. Trust me. I <laughs> know this. He is the king of comfort. <laughs> he really is. Organization and comfort. Yep. Not in a bad so, way. So Jack and Shannon were partners for a period not of time. Not long when, enough. And that's not all my fault. We were on patrol teams together. <laughs> we were. We were on patrol a lot. But we got to be detectives in the same office for a while. And they were office Not mates long enough. We it was, can't talk. Was, yes, I. That was somehow. So, I feel I should offer condolences to both of them. My last year at work was. I mean, I I said it on before. I wound up being on antidepressant, too high blood pressure medications, but and I didn't really want to be there anymore. Yeah, but because well, both of but both of these that, guys, obviously. Yeah. But uh, my time with Jack that last I don't know half year was it's so it was the best part. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. It was good. Because the both of them, unfortunately, like, when you're a new detective at the police department, you get thrown in to work people people crimes and sex crime cases, which is my, that's my cup nice. of tea. Like, that's that's what I, I love working Not those nice. cases. I love working those cases because they're, it's like a 90-10 rule. I've talked about it all the time. 90% of the time, you're not going to get it done. Like, that case, for whatever reason, ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. But that 10% where you get a good conviction and a confession and, like, you get to legitimately help some kids that brings me back and it yeah, keeps, keeps cool. me in there. Yep. I love it. Um, but it's, if you don't know what you're getting into, like it's jumping in both feet first with cinder blocks tied around your ankles. Like mm. it's sink or swim. And oh, yeah. you guys, I mean, Jack's still working those cases and he does very well. And Shannon did very well when he was there too. And I was sad to see him go. Yeah. <laughs> Jack's over here. You can't see him, but he's going, eh. <laughs> They're they're a challenge. Oh yeah, I like think, unlike uh, any other type of case, absolutely. It's strange being up at the jail and seeing your work <laughs> at the jail. It's like, uh, I one of my last cases, uh, DNA testing finally came in, and he got arrested off all of my work, my affidavit. Oh wow, my warrant. They just I was waiting for that last paragraph somebody had to put in saying yes or no on the DNA, wow. and yeah, it was a cool. yes. And he yeah. comes up to me a couple weeks ago, and he's like, hey, can we talk? I'm like, absolutely, we cannot talk. <laughs> you want to talk football, sure, but anything else, not going to happen. Yeah, because so. you're pending trial. Like, Yeah, and I had one guy come wow. in, and he came in. He went in. We were supposed to have trial. You know, he took a plea. He came in, saw me, and then I saw him go on the bus to prison. So you have to wave at him. Yeah. Have fun, shitbag. Yeah. <laughs> I have a few Toodaloo. people still. Being a half shirt, wow. braiding some dude's hair by the end of your first day in the fishbowl. <laughs> I like to talk shit. Oh, oh yeah, talk shit. I called uh, this inmate the other day. I told him he looked like a stunt double for train spotting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as a in your world, yes, leadership is it's different. Like I've seen, I've interacted with those guys, like. Yes, you are. There's the team cohesion and the decision making is different. Like it's not like, yes, there is a hierarchy, but a lot of times from what I've seen from guys in your experience, it's very much like everyone is a peer, like even the officers, a lot of times, like it's way more dialed down as far as there's a there's a, a facet to it. That fits that description that you said. Yes. Yeah. That's true to a point. Yes. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and I don't know much about it because I wasn't in that world, but I interacted with those guys for a year, you know, when we were over in 
in Iraq. And that's, like I said, it's a SEAL. So it's, it's, I know every organization is different. Every unit is going to be different, but it just looking at those guys and how they operated versus like, here I am PV2 assigned as a, as a machine gunner or a driver that day. It depended on the day. Like I was pretty low shit on the totem pole and looking at the way that those guys interact. And it's like, I know that some of these guys are enlisted guys. I know some of them are officers and they kind of treat everybody the same. So I don't, I don't know if that was kind of the same in your world or. It was not exactly the same, but, but yeah, it, it was. It, okay. You know, I mean, the officers are, are separate. They're, they have to be, they're going to be, that's just right. how it is. Some people, you know, want to be on a first name basis with them. Sure. And maybe, maybe here and there in certain circumstances, that's okay, but it's probably not the best policy in the long term. Sure. Or, you know, for, but, but I mean, let's break that down a little further as far as, you know, leadership, NCOs, team leaders, and their junior guys. What's that relationship like? Like how did, how did that interaction tend to go? Um, it, it goes very smoothly because, you know, I mean, our, so our, our quote unquote younger guys have got, 10 or 12 years in the army and they're E7s. Sure. Right. And there's the, the whole underlying, um, fact that, you know, you're looking at a guy who went through the same, roughly speaking, the same 30 day long, give or take 30 day long job interview that you did. Sure. So he might be a younger guy. Um, he might be smarter than you. Right. Right. Just because you're the in, boss doesn't mean you're in, the smartest guy in the room. In what terms? Like, I've met plenty of people that were, quote-unquote, smart. Well, and you do, I'm doing air quotes. Problem, like college I, graduates. When you I know say that. smarter in that context, I'm saying problem-solving um, in a dynamic environment, you know. And, I mean, I, I learned fairly quickly. Sure. When when um, when I became a team sergeant, you know, and I, I had there was no evidence to. I, first of all, I never I never thought that I was the smartest guy there. Right. Um, I had a lot more experience than a lot of them for for most of the three years that I was in that job. Sure. But you know, after the first couple times when we're when we're doing something, and the, the mo- most of these, I a guy would walk in. We're, we're in the middle of doing something, and it's like, hey, we should. I think we should go do this. And I go, they would come up to me basically with a recommendation. Hey, what do you think if we do this? And I go. Sure. I can't think of a better thing to do, so let's do that. Sure, which yeah. you know, it's because it's kind of like I don't really think I was the greatest leader, frankly. Sure, um, that's but but so, the one thing that I was able to do was treat people well and recognize something that was a good idea, whether it was my idea or not. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we're we're gonna do that. And what I learned after a few times of doing that is that um, it's important to that guy on the team when he comes to an idea percolates up in his brain and he spits it out and he says, Hey, what do you think about this? And you're like, you know what? That's a really good idea. Let's do that. Yep. Right. Cause everyone else on the team sees it. And if they didn't see it, cause maybe it was a, we might've been guys might've been doing some stuff in, in other places, other rooms, mm-hmm. 30 or 40 or 50 yards away or 30 feet or 50 feet or whatever. And so I would always make it a point when we got done. It's like, hey, you know, when we were doing this, Drew walked up to me and said, hey, what about this? And I go, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's do that. Yeah. That was his idea, not mine. Right. You know, and. Um, You're just the catalyst to implement sort of. And and that and and um, I'm trying to remember how this guy put this. I was I was sitting in some uh, 
after I retired, you know, doing various and sundry things that I've done work-wise. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in this meeting, and there was a retired, I think he was a two-star, some guy I'd never met. I don't remember his name. It doesn't matter. He's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Gave, a, gave a decent briefing. and uh, But it, at the one point, he made the comment about how, you know, he wasn't um, – he wasn't writing the music. He was just kind of leading the symphony. Right. And, and, and making sure the band didn't get stuck behind an obstacle, so to speak. That's a, probably not a, the best analogy. Sure. But it's like no, it people sense. know what they need to do. And if you just get out of their way and let them run, and then every once in a while they come in and go, hey, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this thing to happen over here, mm-hmm. this other organization, this other agency, this other company whatever it is and and they won't they won't take my call so you get on the phone and you go why won't you take my guy's call and they're like oh well we didn't (laughs) think it was this important right he's this two stars basically relating how he's the the guy who knocks down obstacles for his people sure and that's really all you have to do if you hire the right people and that's that's kind of the point for right everything i'm saying there's like we have we have this superb probably best hiring process i've seen anywhere yeah Based on based on the, the the quality of folks I see in that building, um, and 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 what they do, sure, you know, there's so there's some there's some uh, egalit- egalitarian aspects to it, right? And there's some, but there's also for the right leaders, there's also the the whole thing where, and not very many organizations can do this. It's like, hey you're fucking this up mm-hmm. and you need to stop right now and fix it. Mm-hmm. And we can, and we can still have respect and be on friendly terms and be normal humans. A lot of people, you can't talk to them like that. Yeah. Right. So they, they get so butthurt and it's just like, well, <laughs> I can't, I can't believe you would say that to me. And, and all of our guys is kind of like, well, you, I kind of deserve to be spoken <laughs> to like that until <laughs> I, until I fixed myself. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and that, but you have to live it and you have to see it. Like I, I had a, one of my, one of my buddies, I doubt serious, seriously if he'll ever listen to this cause he <laughs> probably d- doesn't, he's not interested in this kind of stuff. And I, I haven't talked to him in so long, but when we got out of our training course and I went to my team and he went to his team, we're both brand new guys. And sometimes young guys are, are, uh, constrained by the fact that they don't really know what they should do. Right. So they do, they do something that they think is squared away, which with some people, myself included, I have plenty of examples about this for myself, but. They, they end up focusing inward on something that's that they can square away. There's like, well, I I got all this equipment and I need so so he ends up in his team room by himself as a brand new guy and he's like sharpening this whatever version of like a Bowie knife or mm-hmm. something like that, right? And a another so a very senior guy in the squadron walks in looking for somebody else and he sees him there and no, he recognizes him. He's a brand new guy and you know this. The team sergeant's probably been in that, probably been in that squadron for six, seven, eight years at the time. I don't remember. It's been too many years. Mm-hmm. So he looks at this guy. He's like, sees the knife in his hand. Looks at him. He's you know, the, there's nobody else in the room, and he's like, it's not even his team sergeant. And he's like, you can't find anything else more productive to do than that. R- I mean, really? Right. And then he turns around and walks out the door, and <laughs> George stands behind him. And he's dude's looking at his knife and his shirt. And he's like. <laughs> I guess I'll sweep the floor or I'll, you know, <laughs> right. f- find something to do. Right. right. So he, and, he and reverts to back to what he knows from right, what's been right. beat and into him. Not necessarily years. his fault, but it's just, uh, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. And we like, so 
that's and, you're, what, and when you're young enough like that, you don't know if you're going to screw something up. Right. Right. But I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no. We run into that all the time. And I'm, I'm glad that we, you know, going back to talking about our, our junior team, they're always asking questions. And there's, there's days when I'm like, God damn, like, but they're asking questions of stuff that I haven't explained before. And that's, that's what I key in on. Like if they're asking me questions about something that they've never asked about or that they've never seen and I haven't showed them, then yeah, it's kind of my fault that I didn't show them what they needed to do on that. Or, you know, cause there's so many intricacies in like, cause when you came, when you came into our program and essentially reprogrammed us from the old tactics that we were using, you gave us a, a short set of rules that are very simple. Um, you know, I say very simple in, in theory, like here's these rules. Um, but then there's all these other little things that we've figured out over the years that like, well, what do we do here when we run into this search? Like we're going down a hallway and there's open opposing doors, like in a school or a hotel. Like, what do we do? I remember one year it was like two, maybe a year, two years after we had done our first year. I think I know what you're going to say. I think I remember this. Yeah. It's one of the few things we were, that I remember. We were on a training day <laughs> and it was like, well, what do we fucking do? Like, uh, I don't know. Like, how do we handle this? Like, so we all had all, had all these different ideas. And we're like, Jason talked about this. He taught us, like he told us what we, like one thing we could do. So it was literally like somebody's like, well, who's going to call him? <laughs> <laughs> so we like, somebody busted out their phone and there's like, you know, 10 SWAT dudes in the shoot house called Jason like, hey man, sorry if you're busy. You know, Jason's always been super humble. Like I have a minute. What do you need? And like laid it out for us. Like, here's what we're talking about. And he, Jason's like, why well, fucking explain that to you? Like, you know, that's a, that sort of deal. Like, here's what, and he walks us through it, you know. But it, you, you going back to it, you don't know what you don't know. I like it. It warms my heart as a crusty old team leader seeing my dudes. Like today I was talking to Mike. I called him on it. I was watching him. He's like, he's standing there and he's holding a door and everybody else is like in a different part of the room, they're doing different shit and they go into a different room and here's Mike staring at this door and he's staring at it and he's staring at it. And it was probably 15, 20 seconds of him just holding this door. And there's other dudes that aren't doing shit. And Mike, like my, one of my newest junior guys, he's like, he makes the call. Like I see the switch, like, fuck it. I'm going to take some dudes and go in that room. And he's like, Hey, give me some people. We're going in that room. And it was like, yes, when I, don't when it becomes autonomic and I don't have to tell them what to do, that's when I know that things are progressing. Um, and I, I'm at we're getting to a good point this week where guys are starting to get switched on. Like, okay, I remember like I'm standing here, nothing's happening, I'm not doing anything, and everybody else is doing something, but there's something that I can be doing. Like, I'm gonna do that, but without you know, we have guys all the time, like, I get text messages and calls from guys on the team like hey we've got this one piece of gear like i've never seen it before or i don't know what it is what am i supposed to do with this you know and like dealing with our trucks you know all the how the gears all laid out in a certain area in the trucks they're like you'll find something in one of the trucks and you're like who the fuck put this there that's not where that goes right you know and right. then there's one guy one of the sheepy new guys in the back that's like um well i put that there because i didn't know where it goes like when all else fails just ask um, so that's, you know, I don't know if that translates into, you know, your world that you had dealing with that on the team that like, a little bit, it's trying little to bit. be, you know, 
trying to be an approachable leader, you know, any of those little problems. Cause like I'll get dudes that ask questions about like, like I'll get dudes that show up from the jail, like, and just like swing. Cause my office is the first one down the hallway. Like always trying to be some sort of approachable, you know, right. Right. leader that they can come up to. Cause like when I start, we've talked about this when I was a baby cop at the jail, the investigators were gods. Like, holy shit, man, there's only four of them. You know, like, there's less investigators in our whole office than there is lieutenants. Like, those dudes are something special. Like, I want to do their job, and now here I am, like, flying by the seat of my ass. Like, I don't know shit about shit. You know, like, I'm just glad I got a hot cup of coffee this morning. And here comes some jail guy, like, hey, who do I need to talk to about my retirement shit? You know, like, I don't know who else to ask. I've been here for five minutes. Um and having that, like, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know who exactly who they're supposed to talk to. But, you know, that's an interesting thing because when, you, when you're the person that gets those questions asked and they're not going to their first-line supervisor. Then that's the first question you, I ask is, like, have you talked with your corporal about this? Well, but, and sometimes the answer is no because mm-hmm. I'm not going to. Yeah, or and I that's wouldn't fun. because they're a moron. Sure. Right. Or 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 I tried and they don't want to hear it or they don't know. I'm just saying the way 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 back in my army career, I ended up with uh, junior NCOs that 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 were direct reports to me. Sure. And they come in and they go, "Hey, this other junior NCO wants to bring one of his guys to talk to you." And I'm like, "Well, what about his NCO?" And he's like, "Here's what he wants to talk about." And he doesn't want to talk to that other guy. And I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> oh okay. Because you know, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a humbling thing. It's very flattering, you know. And it's mm-hmm. just like, well, why are they asking me? Yeah. You know, but it's a, when there's the perception that my, my when there's a perception that that's, you're going to get a solution. Right. That's where it's like, the word gets out. It's like, don't go talk to your person who doesn't know what they're talking about go talk to that guy sure that's kind of how i got to end my career as a platoon sergeant on this last deployment and i got to the point where i was we have a problem with sergeant can we go talk to right it was go go talk first one on the list yeah you're the first one on the list right yeah and and i was flattered by that i appreciate it i could see why he'd come to me over him but he's your boss Right. right and have you spoke with him what did he say? And is the problem not being resolved? And if the problem's not being resolved, I'll give you some ideas. But you, I'm not right. I can't right. fix this for you. Yeah. Agreed. But I was going somewhere earlier when we were talking about people coming into the unit and not knowing what they don't know, and people that get assigned to my team specifically. I set up a meeting for them immediately after selection, like as soon as you can after selection, like tomorrow morning. I want you in my office, and I just want to chat with you. You know, because I want to give you some idea of what's expected of you. And the first thing I always tell them is selection is ongoing. Like, just because you made it onto the team. That's right. Doesn't mean that your job is done and you're one of the cool guys now. Like, you got, there's a lot of things that you have to work your way up to. One of the first things I tell them is you don't get to go, like, you go spend all your money you want on cool guy gear. But you're going to wear what we issue you or at least the first year that you're on the team. Like, you go spend 600 bucks on cry precision uniforms. You go buy a cry precision plate carrier. You go right. buy all of this cool guy shit. You're going to wear 
the 511s we give you. You're going to wear the body armor we give you. Like, if you want to put all the pouches and shit and all the geardo queerdo shit on your gun to make it heavier and miserable to carry around for a fucking 19-hour fucking barricaded gunman shootout call-out, go ahead. Right. But ounces equal pounds and pounds equal pain. And I just have these honest conversations with them. Like, I understand you don't know. Like, any questions that you don't have or any questions that you have, absolutely feel feel free to come to me anytime, day or night. Like, if it's, like, I work 8 to 5. I'm on call one week out of five. You know, if you call me at two o'clock in the morning and it's an emergency and you need help with something, I'll do what I can to help you out. Even if I don't know them. Cause you know, we got new guys on the team that I was joking with Bill trooper, Bill about, um, last year when Ben got on the team and it was like, I got like a three year cop that just got assigned to my team. I don't know this guy from Adam. I was like, but he's got three years of experience out on the street and Bill's laughing. He's like, man, I got more fucking time on admin leave than that. <laughs> you know, a 20, 22 yeah, year right. trooper, you know, talking like who they based Longmire off of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to listen to this and call you and be like, you fucker. That's fine. <laughs> he's one of my biggest fans, but that, love you because of all the it, shootings. Oh yeah. I told him he gets the, when I was, I don't think that's what he meant <laughs> when I was a task force officer. Now this was almost 10 years ago. <clears throat> I was joking with him one night when we were waiting for him to piss in a cup after a shooting and was like, man, like you've been investigated by the state agency more than, I mean, it has to be more than 10 times for being involved in officer involved shootings. Either you shot somebody or you were there when it went down. And he's like, he's like doing the caveman thing where he's counting on his hands and he's like, yeah, yeah, that's about right. 10 times. <laughs> so I was joking with him. Um, but you know, sit down and talk with those guys and get to know them a little bit and spend some time. Like, here's kind of what I expect of you. Like, cause we have a page out system when we get called out, like I get their phone numbers, make sure that, uh, we get a test page sent out to them to make sure that their shit's working. And they're the first ones that I call when we get a call out. Like I call those new guys, like, here's what I need you to do. Like I give them very brief, minimal directions. Like you need to be in your gear at the shop, nine times out of ten, they don't have keys to get in yet, nor do I want them driving the Bearcat. But I'm like, I need you there as soon as you can, dressed and ready. I'm like, okay. And then I'll give you further instructions from there. And then usually a lot of the new guys, like Jack becomes their Jack's responsibility because I've got other shit going on. Right. Get with right. your ATL. Get with your junior, your junior leader for me. Like I task them with a lot of stuff. Or like in the event of a call out, and they haven't been through, you know, our basic that we, we call this our basic when you come every year for our week or advanced basic SWAT week. It's like, I give them a, a dude, like you are assigned to so-and-so you are stuck on their ass everywhere they go. You go with them for the most part, unless you like, if you have questions, ask if you're not interrupting, but otherwise you watch and you observe and you learn. Um, and a lot of times, like the first couple call outs, Sean's very good about like, I want them in command with me to see, like, I want them to have their first call out in command watching what a fucking zoo that is and all the shit that's going on. That's Cause you've idea. got all these chiefs from other agencies, like all these people coming in, you've got, we've got two full-time PIO, you know, public information officers that their job is to like get information, push it out to the public. Like, don't come to this area. There's an active you know, SWAT teams out, right? Fucking shit up. 
that sort of thing. Like I want them to see that end of things too. And then jump in with us and try to get organized and figure out where their place is going to be. And then inside of that, we've got all these specialties, right? Like, you know, if you're interested in being a sniper, that's fine, but you got to do your time on entry first. You got to earn it. Cause like I said, selections ongoing, like you got to put in the time, every guy that's a sniper, except for <laughs> Justin and Mike has spent time on the entry team. And the only reason that those two were able to kind of bypass that normal SOP is because they had the experience. We trusted them. We knew them, you know, their capabilities. They did come through a selection. We put them through a selection to like, okay, we realize that you guys are based on your training that you've had from the military. Like you're going to be well suited to just jump in and be the new sniper team after we had essentially lost ours. Like right, right. dudes retired, right. dudes yep. left the team. We were left with no snipers yep. for a I long period that. of time. I remember that. And uh, they're the only two that I can speak of that ha- haven't gone through our normal selection process, which is pretty fucking arduous. I can say, and I've said it many times in the last three years since we've kind of rebuilt our selection process, that if I had to go through selection now today, I probably wouldn't make it. Honestly. Yeah. And that's that sucks for me, like being a fat old detective and being a, resp- a leader, like looking at these dudes. And then the other side of that is like when we get to when we're out on the range, because I used to, I mean, Raleigh can tell you, prided myself for so long on being like, I'm the shooter. Like, I love to be the guy that like humbly beats everybody else. Like, I like, I like shooting. I enjoy it. It's a good time. I'm very good at it. But now that I'm getting a little older and these young guys are coming up, like I really have to step my game up to keep up with yep. this younger crew of guys because yep. they're fucking switched on. Happens to everybody. And that's, they're, yeah. They're, just, they're faster. They're well, young. part of it is and like, eyes are still you know, go, go. <laughs> exactly. Their eyes still like work. Step just 10 feet away from them. <laughs> exactly. They're all Speaking about that, up naturally. So I, I want to, um, it's, yeah, it's been, you know, me and Jack, like we'll go out. And we'll we'll run a drill, and the both of us will be on the sidelines. Like, man, these fucking kids are out shooting the shit out of us. Like, we're we're not young men anymore. Well, that's it's not supposed to go though. You're supposed mm-hmm. to come up and have your yeah. time, and then move to the side. I can still hang. I still do okay. Okay, but I've noticed in the last what two years, I think two or three years ago, we we had conversations like you know in the the birth phase of red dot sites coming up on handguns. Right. And then I think it was last year you showed up with one. Right. And it was, that was right after I got it, I think. Yeah. A little over a year ago. I think so. Cause that's about the same, I think the same year that I showed up with mine on my 19 that, that I sold to Sean. And we've, we've had several conversations about like implementing, embracing technology, like the, the advantages that those have. And I definitely see it. It has improved my pistol shooting. I mean, tenfold since i went to an rds especially long game yeah long games it's, it's a night and day difference i don't know i made the joke about eyesight earlier mm-hmm. but I truly it's not think a joke it's, oh no it's, it's not, not a, it's joke. Not a it's joke. joke it's real it's for fucking real i laugh it off because i'm becoming old and decrepit yeah so. and it happened fast man it was like yeah. all of a sudden it was like man i feel like i need my glasses to go out and shoot my handgun rifle it's no big deal 
Oh but, no, I I discovered with rifle. I went to a, an advanced rifle course and I yep. would hit two and then I missed th- the third shot. Okay, <laughs> I know I'm better than this. I hit two and I missed the third. And I got to thinking like, what is going wrong? And I got up and walked over and got my glasses out of my bag and I put my glasses on. I came back down and then my group went all three <laughs> shots. <I'm> like, <laughs> right. I was so just right. like, oh man, <laughs> yeah, no. I always um. I zero my rifle every time I zero. I put a, a you know, a, a standard NRA black bullseye. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's about a five and a half inch diameter black circle, and that's what I that's I've always zeroed with that. And um, you know, it's been a few years ago now, but I, I realized I couldn't, I couldn't even. <laughs> I'm well, you guys can't see listening to this as I'm sitting here like straining my eyes trying to squint my shooting eye into focus, and I was like I could just barely see that. Right and, and squint that black disc into non-grainy focus. Right, but it you know causes a headache after the fact because I'm squinting so hard. So I I I bit the bullet and went and found a I got a, a decent uh, uh, started with a one to four. Now I'm at a one to six X. Yeah, I don't have to shoot it all the way up on six to zero it. Right, but having the optic helps a lot. Yeah, it really does. And uh, just to touch on that real quick, like you know, if you get on Instagram. And you look around at these guys that run training companies that teach firearms instruction. You know, they're all kitted out in the, the latest Patagucci gear. And the first year that I showed up to Jason, I think the thing that like kind of set me aside was like this dude's in like a t-shirt and Carhartt pants and like whites work boots, you know, like pack boots. That's what my dad used to call them is pack boots. Yeah. And, you know, we got out to the range. What's that? Georgia work boots. What's that? Were they Georgia's? Whites, he said. No, they were white. They were, were they whites. whites? Yeah. Okay. Custom. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, he doesn't have like the, you know, he is from the Instagram. He will teach you to gunfight. And I immediately was like, there's something to that. And then we got out to the range because I was like the whole time, like you weren't carrying around any guns that first year that we were around. Um, but you're, t- you know, talking to us about gear placement and like, you know, looking at the guys that have all the shit hanging off their gun and you're like, what's that for? What do you, when's the last time you used that? You know, you're pointing that. And that was one of the things that we had yeah. that conversation, like slim down your gear. Like right. if you have shit on your kit that you haven't used in a year, why do you carry it? I remember having that conversation. Like and you then, said a little while ago, ounces make pounds. Right. Right. And then uh, we got out to the range and like Jason gets out his gun case and I'm like, what's he got in that yeah, bag? I, <laughs> what's he got in that bag? Nothing. And he pulls yeah, out like the high speed, like the simple, like you're running the what, like an 18 inch gun. 16. Yeah. 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 Just like straight up mill spec. Yeah. I think the, I think the, um, the free float, the, the hand guard was tan because that's what I could get. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the guns black. It's not, there's nothing special. about Yeah. It. With an A2 grip and yep. a simple <laughs> sling, yep. no light. Like, I don't even know if you had iron sights on. I think you did. No. And I'm I was just like. an optic. I haven't had iron sights on that gun since I've owned it. And I was like. Because I don't bother with them. What, what is that? Right. You know, like, because I was expecting, you know. Dun, dun, like dun. the shit that the SEALs used to carry, you know, like a Mark 18 with gobs of cool guy gear and spray painted. And he pulls this out and I'm like, well, I yeah. could like go buy that at a gun store. Right. And was like, okay. Except this, you can't because my buddy built that rifle. Right. My, my buddy Eric. Retired third group guy who's a fucking wizard with an <laughs> AR-15, right? He built that gun. Right. Tried, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this story, but he, he spent like two years. We were talking. We, we've been friends for a long time, and he's a really, really good dude. And uh, 
every t- you know we talk every every month or so every sometimes every couple of months but he you know periodically he'd be like hey i'm putting parts together i'm making some guns let me you know buy some parts and i'll put you together a rifle i'm like ah you know i don't want to spend the money and this and this and i had i had like a, a decent gun you know mm-hmm. and um so finally he, he you know one year he, he says hey i'm doing this and i said okay so it took me a while to find all the parts because i don't know what i'm doing right i know a little bit more now but i didn't know at the time he doesn't know what he's doing well, I mean, as far as like when you start buying parts, <laughs> right. right? I would I would buy the upper and the lower, right? And they don't always come with an upper parts kit, sure, lower parts kit. So I sent it to him, and he's like, "Hey, man, where's the lower parts kit?" I'm like, "What mean lower parts kit?" He's like, "You know, all the springs and the, the detents the and all the stuff that makes everything work." Shit. And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> how, I thought you had all this shit laying around." He's like, "No, you have to buy all that." And so I was like. A complete idiot as far as that goes. So we get through all this stuff, and it takes him probably. It took him about three months to talk me through getting the right stuff, and I, you know, I bought like a mil spec buffer tube and a non mil spec buffer. Right. Or I bought the wrong buffer tube to fit on the receiver that I right. had. So I had to go back and send all this stuff back and redo it because I just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the. And it's it's always funny when you when we start talking about guns because you're like, I don't know shit about it, but then we'll start like we'll have a problem with a gun. And you'll start tearing into it and be like, well, it's got to be this, this, or this. And it's usually one of those three things, <laughs> which, which is funny because just to enlighten the listeners, Jason was on the, were you the project lead on the 416 project? That's not technically the right. What's, I, was, I, was I don't know like, what the term is. I was more is. like the, 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 the intersection point where all the information passed through. Okay. And, and translated, from, translated from HK over to the users, so, what right. we needed in... Okay. You know, so it was like so a liaison. Wasn't, it wasn't a lead because if I say lead, I'm insulting a bunch of, a bunch of people right. who did quite important jobs. It was a, right. it was a pretty big team effort. But and there's, there's, if you want to listen to Jason talk about that at length, there's numerous other podcasts where you, you do talk about that. Yeah, we've talked about it a couple of times. Yeah. yeah that's, that's probably the book I'll write someday. When, <laughs> I, when I'm old and I can't do anything except tell dictate that. something into a, you know, yeah. I'll tell that story maybe. But that's kind of... Are we done with guns yet stuff? I have a question. That's sure, kind of go a ahead. dry question. <laughs> anyway, th- or I just got to say this last thing. So he finally convinces me. I put this rifle together. I've been shooting this gun now exclusively. It's the only gun I take to the range uh-huh. for four years. So maybe, and I don't shoot a lot when I when I do classes, maybe maybe 6,000 rounds on that gun. Haven't had a stoppage. Not one. Not, that gun has not malfunctioned one time. Right. I just, and I frankly, I, I I add oil more than I clean. Right. It just, it just it just runs and runs and runs and runs. So I was telling these guys on Monday morning, like Sunday night, well, Sunday afternoon, I cleaned my rifle for the first time since SWAT week last year. And we we do a fair bit of shooting, and we run suppressed 10-and-a-half-inch guns. Yeah. And they're dirty bitches. Yeah. And I was ashamed with myself, like, yeah. What is wrong with you? How have you gotten to this in your life where you're like, <laughs> I pull it out of there, like, I don't even want to touch it. Like, they dropped it. Well. Friday after SWAT week, the last couple of years, I pull all my guns, I take them apart in the driveway, I make sure the driveway is really clean. Yeah. I know how much crap's going to come off. Oh, of yeah. That's that's my cleaning station. Because we generally shoot. <laughs> like, I'll sit with a pressure wash. Like 20 man team, I think we go through, well, I mean, the years that we've had, I mean, when we're at the range, there was one year where we burned through, I think, 10,000 rounds total as a team in a week in a five-day week shooting with jason well if you buy cheap firearms you 
Do what you pay for. So I will speak to, so we run arrow guns, uh, 10 and a half inch arrow uh, X-15s. And my gun, specifically my gun, I'm going to knock very fucking loudly on wood. I've had very, very few issues running. And I've run that gun suppressed since I got it with Surefire cans. I started with an FA556212, and now I run a SOCOM 2. And that gun just fucking runs all day long. That gun will run. So I don't know what kind of magic sauce that arrow has because every other gun we've had some sort of problem with except for my gun. And and I don't, obviously I don't take great care of it. But yeah, pulling the bolt carrier out was like, ew. And I (laughs) dropped it in the sonic tank. It was like, we're just going to let you sit in there for about 20 minutes and then we'll deal with it. But yeah, anyway. You had a question you said. Yeah, so I take it you came up, so 25 years, that puts you in after Panama, but before Somalia. Is that, did you join late 80s, early 90s? Uh, 84 in the Army. Okay. And then uh, went to went to Fort Bragg. I went to the unit in 92, right? right um, I finished the training course and got assigned officially like 10 months before uh, Somalia happened in 93. Okay. So... You spent all eight years under Clinton. I did. Right. And then you switched over and you did eight years under Bush. I did. For your, your two presidents. That's the biggest chunk I would that, say. That's right. Because you must have come in under George H. And then left with Obama, right? Well, no, I came in in 84. Was I was under, Reagan. That oh, was under sorry, Reagan. Right yeah. before Reagan's re- re-election. Okay. I, I went in in uh, March of 84. As far as so operation-wise, so. between the eight years with Clinton and eight years with Bush, how did, like, what was the, the tempo for your certain group of men? Um, I, I'd imagine. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, it's not a, to, to hinge the question on the two, on the two names isn't fair because 9-11 happened right after Bush took office. Sure, right. right. So you, you can't compare with that. It's a, no. it's apples. It's, I mean, it's not even apples and oranges. It's like one of my buddies says years ago, it's, it's fruit and meat. It's so different. Sure. Right? Chalk, and, um, chalk and cheese, as they say. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, it, everything everything got really, really, really busy after 9-11. Right. So is that a lot of training then during the... Uh, I think we always, we, always did, uh, we always did a lot of training. Um, Might have gotten a little bit more focused. Um, I'm sure. On, on, on specific things. I mean, we always had... Very focused, very specific. I mean, and I've, you know, Drew made this comment about the a couple of the other podcasts I've done, and I don't remember most of those conversations, but I remember in one of them, I, the guy asked me the question. I was like, you know, hit the ground in Mogadishu in '93. It's kind of like this isn't as hard as most training things I've done, and that was that wasn't me like patting myself on the back or or the or or the or the or organization. It's that that's just like kind of like I've seen all this before. Right. You know, <coughs> not not to not to say that it wasn't a a big deal. It just it, it was just kind of. I remember thinking that even as a relatively you know less than a year in the building, mm-hmm. fairly fairly young guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, not the shooting, but not the sh- people shooting bullets back at us part, obviously. But that that's that would be so a was, stupid thing to say. Was but that your? Like was that your birth by fire moment? That was yeah, that was my first one. Okay, so I know I remember the first time I got shot at, and it was like, did I just get fucking shot at? Yeah. You know, like that was it. Really? That was, like 
This is like climax. It's one of those. Like, <laughs> I think we can all laugh. Like we've we've all been shot at. Everybody sitting at this table, and it was like the first time it happens. You're like, was that a fucking gunshot? Like, holy shit! I'm sure it was different in that scenario, though. I don't. Obviously, you're not the only person that was there that day that I've met and talked with. Um, but I've heard you say that the only correlation between being on the ground that day and what's portrayed in the movie is that A, there was helicopters, and B, there was army dudes. That's right. And everything else was completely different. Yeah. Um, for, for me. Sure. You know, and, and, and understanding that that was a very, um, you know, when, when, when Mark Bowden wrote the book, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know, I don't know how many, how many of you guys are aware of this. I don't know how many listeners are aware of it, but there were essentially uh, chapter-length excerpts in the Philadelphia Inquirer, you know, once a month for however long it took him. Oh, okay. Was, I didn't. So wrote, it was like he, a column. He wrote a it, exactly. It was kind of like an installment. Oh, okay. Right? I didn't know that. Like some of the. There are other books that have been done like that in the past. That yeah. I think if I thought long enough, I could I could think of a commonly um, known um, one. One one that I've read. It, it's called Betrayal. It's about uh, it's a Boston Globe Spotlight team expose about the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal. Oh, okay. And how that was all covered up. Okay. But that's that's completely different. So you know, but I mean, it was a so it was a an installment thing. But mm-hmm. the, the difference was is he put it out there. And he online and he and he asked for, you know, as anonymous as a person wanted to be. If you were there, oh, what sure. I'm saying is in is not correct, or you need to add to it, or embellish it, or correct it. Please, sure. You know, ninety nine percent of all the comments that he got came from not our guys, but from most of the Rangers. Sure. And so it's a, and that's not good or bad. That just is what it is. I'm sure. not. That's you know. Yeah. That's I'm not I'm not passing judgment on that. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. It just it it ends up being more of their story than it does ours because sure. the the one percent of it that came from a couple of our guys, you know, it just can't influence that much. And then and then the other the other part of that is uh don't ask me how I know this, but you know, when the when the, the famous actors playing the parts in the movie, when they're filming the movie mm-hmm. You know, the guy looks at his agent, looks at the director, and looks at the producer, and is like, "I'm fucking saying this line in this scene." Like, oh, the guy that you're portraying mm-hmm. didn't say that, didn't do that. He's like, "I'm me, the actor, the face. I get the line that I want, or I walk." That kind right. of thing, right? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and and um, sure, um, not exactly 100 percent quote, but that's generally how that worked out. Sure. And so, you know, it's a good story. Yeah. It's, I guess, but I remember. <laughs> I think it was a really good recruiting tool, frankly, from what I've heard Absolutely. from some so, younger guys that I know. So I can tell you, you know? I was in the airport. I was trying to enlist because I'm what's referred to as a nine twelver, right? Like day okay, after, yeah, day after nine eleven, <laughs> I was in the recruiter's office, humping their leg, trying to like, where do I sign? That was me, um, and I was a senior in high school. So you're talking about. I was born the year that you joined the army. I was born in 1984. Okay. So to give That's you some funny. context, this was, right. you know, 2001. Um, and the movie came out that year, Black Hawk Down. And I remember, I was like, I want to read the book before I watch the movie. Anybody should. 
Like you, I had forgotten like, that there was that much gap between when when this mm-hmm. happened in '93 and when the movie came out. I don't know. Yeah, like I I, I would encourage anybody this, almost universally. Two thousand two, I believe, right? Yeah, it did. But this was in two thousand one when I first started trying to enlist, and I remember being. I got bounced back from another trip from Meps because they're like, you know, all these. I went to Meps. It took me a year and a half to enlist because I was honest on my medical questionnaire. And there was a bunch of stuff that they were like, have you ever had hay fever or allergies? And I was like, well, yeah, everybody does. You know, like it's one of those blanket questions. Well, they were like, oh, you have asthma. You have problems breathing. I was like, no, I just, at that time, I smoke half a pack of cigarettes a day. Like, I don't have asthma. Like everybody else in my family does. So I had to go back and forth to MEPS several times. So I remember sitting in the airport waiting to fly home, reading like trying to finish the book so that I could go see the movie when it came out that weekend. And you're right. Like it was a huge recruiting tool. Like that was a big driving force of me like, man, those guys are fucking badass. And it was like, I'm going to go be a national guard artilleryman, you know, doing nothing at all. Even close to what those guys (laughs) did when they were there. Like in the real world. And I like, I read the book and then I learned more about it. And I met a few people that were there, like from the 10th mountain guys. Um, one of the guys was one of our trainers when we were at Fort Dix, New Jersey. But we used to joke, like, because our unit, this was after after the initial invasion into Iraq. We're getting ready on our, our turn-up training at Fort Dix. And uh, after Jessica Lynch. And it was like, don't, you know, that was the thing that our commanders and our leadership and our unit was like, don't let it, whatever you're out there doing, like, don't let it turn into Jessica Lynch. Don't let it be Black Hawk down. So we would always joke that that was our unit SOP. That was a running joke. So you'd like come into one of the squad rooms and dudes would be, you know, huddled around watching Black Hawk Down. Like, oh, they're brushing up on the SOP. <laughs> you know, like it was just this <laughs> running joke. What did know? they mean when they said that? Well, just like, and that's what I was like. Well, I don't don't let it grow. Only life only its own. Yeah. Frame of reference that they had, I guess, for military for us. Like, you know, like, don't lose, you know, in the movie. We just lost the initiative. You know, that type of thing. Like, yeah, to a degree, but. I, like knowing what yeah, I know don't now, get separated and separated from your unit <coughs> and get captured by the enemy. yeah. Revert back to like, like toxic leadership. Yeah, like exactly. You have any control over the situations you're in, right? You want to like instantly like dive someone into survivor's guilt. Like you can serve like right. It, it's like mm-hmm. you play God. You do everything you're supposed to do right. Everyone's coming home right. Right. One of the biggest lies that I think is ever out there with toxic leadership. Oh yeah. Well, you're also talking angry. about. A bunch of National Guard soldiers and even officers who may have had regular army, may have been a Marine, may have been in like, the Navy. There was so we had some prior to give you some context. Like I can think of like we had the three Vietnam vets that I already mentioned. Um, there was like two dudes that were prior service, active duty infantry that had gone to Kosovo. Yeah. Um, there was like one dude that had gone to Africa in the early nineties, like not. Somali or Mogadishu, but like other parts of Africa doing right aid missions and shit like that. Like what was it? Uh, Operation hope or something like that. There was some somewhere in middle of Africa. Anyway, like not combat deployed. Like, yes, they were deployed to a region outside of the United States on a mission active duty, but it wasn't necessarily a combat role. Um, so we just had no frame of context. Right. Like, and it was all of those guys, like all of our leadership, <sighs> They were a bunch of fucking chodes. Like, looking <laughs> yeah. back at it now, like... 
Chode. If, there's a good word I like, haven't heard in a while. Like if I <laughs> lost, we looking back on it, field artillery. Awesome. Yeah, we weren't doing our mission. We got we got tasked as in lieu of military police, so we were running checkpoints, um, playing police officer, playing MP. Yeah, going to police stations. Wow, like some convoy escort stuff. Like that's we got an eight week crash course in. You know, combat military police operations in Fort Dix, and they're like, "This is as theater specific as we can make it." Fort Dix, New Jersey, in fucking February. <laughs> it took eight weeks. Eight it, weeks. Semi, in ninety days. Ninety days. Yeah, it was our our pre mob during that time. Uh, That's everything from paperwork to, to SRP. Get, I wouldn't to, think that it would take ninety uh, no. eight weeks at all. It, maybe maybe three. And it, to get validated as combat oh. deployable, and they shipped us to Baghdad, oh, and we sat at the airport for three fucking days. Right next to a sign that says, danger, high impact mortar area. That's where we <laughs> slept for three days. We slept under, they have those PXs that come in on. Uh, it's like, like a, a fucking semi-trailer. Semi-truck. You know, the little shop oh, yeah, at yeah, trailer. Yeah, we and slept they, and under they fold one of those. up the awnings, and there's a burrito yeah. and a Burger King. And we a, slept I, under one of those for three days <laughs> on fucking gravel on our sea bags. On our sea bags. Nice. And we're like, what the fuck are we doing here? You know, like, because I'm 20 years old. Like, this is a fucking joke. Because they didn't know, <laughs> the, like, I, they we, didn't know we were there. They didn't know what to do with this. Oh, the National Guard. So by the time, you know, 20 years later, my last deployment, our, our primo was 30 days. Yeah. That was four days for a long weekend at the end. It's like 20, 27, 28 days right. remo from right. from 90 down to 30. And yeah. Yeah, and, and even at 30, it's still like uh, well, pre-deployment paperwork we, we and shots. We know and how to do oh, yeah. job. We, getting, getting a lot of validation and, and right. you know, a, lot of, right. a lot of SRP, but a lot of proving ourselves that, well, this National Guard, knew, they know how to shoot rifles and they know how to shoot the artillery pieces. Just Right. Yeah, because now I get it. Um, it's like you're, you're second class citizens, right? Sometimes, yeah, and <laughs> like sometimes we we went at length on a couple episodes about this, and I'll I'll point them to to you, and you can listen to them sometime. Where okay. we just like it was me and Shannon, and like four or five of the other dudes that were in our unit, just like bitching about these stories and telling you know Baghdad stories. Um, but long story short, you know, being a super junior guy, twenty years old, like. I'm getting deployed. Like, I'm going to Iraq. Like, this is what I've been training for. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to do any of those things that you have trained how to do. But we're going to throw you into the middle of the city in Baghdad and, like, throw this whole new mission set at you. And, like, damn, you got this. You got this, Private Joe Snuffy. (laughs) We survived. We did. We did. We didn't, like, I can't say that any of us didn't fire our weapons. (laughs) because <laughs> there was some shenanigans. But uh, we had one guy wounded in an inadvertent V-bid uh, attack. Complete collateral yeah, damage. Just happened to be wrong place, wrong time. Like convoys, our convoy was passing another convoy that got hit, and that guy got hit with a piece of shrapnel and got medevaced. Home. He's fine, you know, yeah, yeah. Like survived to this day, but they just happened to be right. in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we made it through, I mean... 12 months in Baghdad in 2004, 2005, which was a really shitty time to be in Baghdad. Well, and we were really not a fun time to be in Baghdad. Yeah. It's pretty wild, wild west back then. Yeah. It was. And it, we made it through. And right. like, I, I credit my, my immediate 
leadership, my first line leader, my team leaders, because I had two different ones in on that deployment that like I wouldn't have. <laughs> I mean, like I was just a kid, completely off the rails. Like I wasn't married, nothing holding me back. Like just right. I had no guidance. Like no, I had no aim in life. Like, what are you going to do when you get home? Like, what do you mean? Like, what? I'm not planning to make it home. Like, this is, you know, they've been telling me that it's going to be Black Hawk Down every day. <laughs> Literally, like that's the kind of shit that we would have. And it was like, wow. That, like, we're laying in the snow-covered woods of Fort Dick. <laughs> and, uh, is it was Omni Group, or is that Fort Hood? No, Omni Group is Fort Hood. Okay, so whoever the, the training center was for Fort Dix, I'm laying in the snow in the woods of Fort Dix, New Jersey, and you're like, simulate you're in a desert environment and there's no trees. <laughs> there's no trees in Iraq. And you're like, we're, we're in the impact area because, like, Fort Dix is a big circle, right? All the ranges, like, there's one big impact area in the middle. Right. And there's a couple right. areas where they would send you in to do, like, certain ops when you're training. like, And you're, like, laying in an impact crater, like in six inches of snow and it's still snowing and they're like you're in the desert you know like i remember i'll give you an example i'll give you an example so i went to basic training in september of 2003 i was at fort sill and in the time while i was there they like the invasion had already been done troops were all over in iraq and they found and captured saddam while i was in basic training and i remember the drill sergeants were like they had the stars and stripes we got him you know, this picture from the rat hole. And I just remember like, well, fuck. Like, it's going to be over before I get there. <laughs> you know, because the drill sergeants were the same way. I remember we're out on an FTX, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, in January. Like, it got that so... That had to be nice. It got so cold. Fucking miserable. Fort Even Sil- worse than dicks, right? <laughs> Fort Sill is the asshole of the world. Like, the only place that I've heard is worse is Fort Polk. And I've never been there, so it I can't is. speak to it. it <laughs> but our, it got so cold that our water buffalo froze. And we had a warm-up tent when we were out on, like, fire guard. We were rotating through watch. And I remember standing there. It was, like, me and a couple other dudes. And we're just standing, like, freezing our ass off. Because all we had was, like, M65 field jackets, poly pros, and leg boots. And I'm standing there with my wool wool gloves with the leather That's outers. Right. Yeah. Standing there with my pile cap on. Just, like, I'm so fucking cold. <laughs> and I remember my drill sergeant comes over and he's like, hey, Private, there's no warm-up tent in Iraq. I'm like... Well, no fucking shit. Because it's 120 <laughs> degrees outside. Uh, so you know, a little, a little more, a little more than a year later, and I'm in Baghdad, just like looking back on like, where, what what guidance have I got to to prepare me for right. where I'm at right now? Like, and none of this way, makes any fucking Baghdad sense. Baghdad has at least 12 million trees. Oh yeah, There's it's very trees in Baghdad. There's Baghdad's very lush. I was when we got there and like got into the city. I was impressed. Yeah. Like I was blown away by how tropical it was. Right. You know, because right. I'm like, there's palm groves everywhere. I I did well, get hypothermia in Iraq. Yeah, and it was different. <laughs> yeah. But we had a, a four day operation. We're in this rock pile, and the days would be like 120, and it dropped down. And it dropped in the forties or thirties and forties like, at night. We saw snow, and it was like, so you sweat your ass off all day long. And then you freeze all night long. Yep. And yeah. Oh, I definitely. I I was wearing. I I put on my uh, silkies and go out at ninety ninety six degrees during the day. But we'd be at the PM's house and the sun would set. Next thing you know, it goes from ninety down to like 
50 you're talking 40 to 50 degree temperature change and i was like i may have been hot sweating my ass off but thank gosh (laughs) i got my polypros on now right or rain and then it would just oh jesus that rainy season in no i remember it was during the election when bush uh ran for re-election in 04 and it rained for like three fucking weeks and i'm not talking like a drizzle rain i'm talking like cow pissing on a flat rock rain (laughs) just miserable fucking like because when you got your gear on and it's touching your Gore-Tex, they say it's waterproof. No, if there's anything touching it, it'll rain well, right Gore-Tex is one of the biggest frauds ever perpetrated <laughs> on humanity. Johnny and I were. <laughs> and on the military specifically. I, I think the listeners need to know the difference between rain and rain in Iraq, especially mm. if you're in a city. Oh, so Jesus. In Iraq, they don't, a, lot, a lot of the cities don't have sewage. Yeah, or, or um, drainage. They, or drainage. They basically have like a, we'll call it a commode, and it drains outside of their house, outside of the yard, into the streets. So when you're driving through open back huddles, Humvees, or a turret open Humvee, and these splashes come in, you're covered <laughs> in, we'll call it rainwater, but it's really the poo water. You got the poo on you? Yeah. No matter where you are, you're covered in Iraqi poop. Oh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Just fucking. Just, uh, it's everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. That's, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, what I, else can you say? I, lo- I loved Baghdad, but I don't, I would not go back, you know? It was an experience as a young man. It was very formative. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be who I am today without it. Um, but going back to leadership and like, I can't say that my immediate leaders failed me, but like, it just was like, there was no clear, what are we doing? Like, oh no, because we never knew. We just got pushed around. Yeah. Like, and we'd get bounced from, you know, one. I mean, at one point we were under first cav, and then we got bounced to third ID. Like that first deployment, I think we had what six different combat patches yeah. we were eligible to wear wow. from the units that we were under. Yeah, at that point in time, and the one that I choose to wear is third army, Patton Patton's a hole oh, from because yeah. we we, we got that because the seals were under, um, they fell under third army, mm. so I wear that one as opposed to. The big gay first cav. I wore the first cav in the 89th MP Brigade, but we had the 42nd MP Brigade and 3rd ID and the A. Yeah, it was just, it was ridiculous. Like, we never knew. Take us over, we'd get right. another patch. Yeah, right. We'd just get passed along, and it was yep. like, yep. I, I came back to that, like, many years later, like, well, they didn't I didn't, I didn't have this. anybody, like, at a higher level than, say, platoon that was, like, we knew what the mission was. Like, your job is to keep these people safe. Like, you are responsible for the security of this compound, period. Like, but we were also training ourselves out of a job, you know, because we were teaching the Iraqis how to run a checkpoint, how to do security, how to conduct themselves, and just do these operations that we had no fucking idea. That's what I, like, always come back to. Like, <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. How the fuck am I supposed to train somebody else how to do it? Right. Um, so just, you know, a comedy of errors type of deal. That's like, I remember we had, Shannon had a platoon leader that was like, we're going out on foot patrol for fucking what? Why? Like our job is to guard this no, compound. We're static security. We're yeah. Prime Minister of Iraq's house. Right. But we're going to go walk around the neighborhood. Like why? Like, is this, are you doing recon by fire? And if so, what the fuck for? Like, 
let them come to you. Like we're pretty well why, set up. We had bring all that attention to yourself. We had great. Yeah, we had great. I mean, everybody knew we were there. Well, because they had no experience. Right. We had nobody no, I, any I of experience at that time. Yeah, and that's and, that's and what and it came down to. The other thing is getting pushed around. I don't think the army knew what to do with the National Guard. Yeah, two thousand and four. I would agree. I would agree with that. But then, what's funny is that fast forward five years later, and we're back in Iraq, and now I'm a, a junior NCO. Um, I could have been an E six by that point, but I was by that point I was like, no, like I'll go out, I'll run my run my convoy missions because we ran convoy security. We ran the milk run from Camp Virginia up to Camp Cedar, which was just outside of Nazaria. Every day we were either going or coming like 170 miles. We knew the route. We knew the people that lived in the area. Like we had a pretty good system down. Um, but you fast forward to that where I've like, now I'm in charge of junior enlisted people that are relying on me and my combat experience. You know, the things that I've like, how are you going to respond in a certain situation? Like, cause they would, I had a good couple teams of people. I got bounced around a couple different squads, but I had good people that were asking me questions like, well, if this happens, what do we do? If this happens, what do we do? You know? And, uh, like you, I listened to a podcast where you talked about going to a meeting at the, uh, it was like the United States army association and with some Sergeant major that was, pissed off because it was like well fucking they're wearing brown boots they can't even oh, shine their yeah, boots i remember that, that type of yeah. thing i think i can't yeah, i think it was, it was a, on the soft rep radio uh, the AUSA meeting they do a big conference up in dc every year and it was uh it was uh i don't remember it was i think i went on i was on soft rep twice i don't know if it was the first or the second one. oh okay i know? thought you'd only been on there one time but i, I remember yeah. i listened to you talk about that and you were saying well, you were newly yeah. retired as a sergeant major from right. your unit right and listen to these regular army sergeant majors that are like, well, there's no, like, they got to go outside and, you know, count the red rocks. And these guys don't even polish their boots because they're, you know, suede yeah. leather. They're brown. They're brown and they're suede. We can't even polish them. And it's like, yeah. oh my God. And this is all you can think about, really? By at, at that point in time, I was lucky. I had a couple very young teams of, you know, Driver Gunners, I'm the team leader in a Humvee, um, where I was able to give them a lot of guidance. But I wound up with a team of two IRR guys that had done more deployments on inactive ready reserve time than they ever did when they were active duty. And then got to our unit on another deployment. And then another guy that like joined the reserves running wow. convoy missions as a, as a driver. Okay. So he, I was like, obviously, you're my driver. That guy's my machine gunner. They were switched on. And one of them, he was from around your same neighborhood in Pennsylvania, Jack. Yeah, because yeah, uh, when I met you, because I, side story. I'm going to divert here real quick. It's called digress. Yes. When Jack came to the team, I knew who Jack was. I'd interacted with him a little bit on patrol. Um, but when Jack gets excited, he gets that real, his accent comes out. And you'll hear it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's how I knew exactly where he was from. And I'm like, me and Jack hadn't had a lot of interactions. I was like, I'm betting you're from this area, certain area in Pennsylvania. He's like, how'd you know that? And I'm like, because I had a guy that was my gunner. And he'd like, when he'd get fired, I'm going to go down and take a shower. You know? Like, it's a very distinct accent. It is. So anyway, those dudes, like, I couldn't have asked for a better team. 
because I was on stop loss. I was on my way out. Like I knew I was leaving after that deployment. Um, and I get this team of guys that like, they also didn't give a fuck, but we were the scout truck for my, for my cat and our convoy escort team. Mm. So our responsibility was to be one to two miles out in front of the convoy scanning for any threats. Um, like we're responsible. We're the tip of the spear for that cat running out. Right, like right. Anything fishy coming up, we're responsible for that. And I couldn't ask for a better team to really set me as a leader because it was like, listen, I don't fucking care about the fun run 5k. I don't fucking care like to a degree, like what your uniform looks like. When we, when we trip up into Iraq, I don't fucking care if you shave. Like, I don't give a shit. Do your job. Do what's expected of us. Make sure that us and this truck come home. Make sure that the people that were these 40, you know, civilian truckers that were supposed to safeguard, make sure they make it to where they're making it to. Make sure the other three trucks make it there. And aside from that, I don't fucking care what you do in your personal time. Like... You know when you need to be somewhere, what uniform you need to be in, and what our job's going to be that day. That's my job as a leader is to make sure you know that. And that kind of set the tone for me, like, moving forward. And then when I got onto SRT, like, I'm still very much in the same, like, listen, you guys know what's expected of you. Do that. Like, keep each other happy, keep me happy, and we'll be good to go. So I guess that's where I'm going with that, that, like, seeing that transition from leadership where it's like my team leaders are like, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing right now. Squad leaders are like, I don't know what our job is all the way up to company leadership where they're like, just don't do black Hawk down. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Just like you ask, like, what does that mean? Right. right. You know, and they don't, they can't answer that question. They just know that like they made a shitty move. They made a shitty movie out of it. Like (laughs) there's no context. So yeah. Um, I think too many people have a misconception that to be a leader, you have to exercise control, exert control right. over people and force them to do what you want them to do. I think a lot of people, you know, you, you, you become a young NCO. Mm-hmm. How, much, how much actual mentoring for leadership did you get? I had a from, fair, you know, you might get lucky. Yeah, right? I was lucky. I had, I had some good so, platoon leadership growing up. Right, right. But it's, but it's, you know, that doesn't always happen. Right. I got mentored in other ways that benefited me greatly, but I didn't, and I got some, but most of my, some guidance for like how to be a leader, but most of it, it was, especially if you were able to go back and talk to 20 or 30 guys that worked for me over the years, they would all be like, yeah, it was by Braille. He's a fucking retard. Right. Everything, every mistake people could possibly make as a leader, he did. Right. You know what I mean? But you have to f- earlier, you said something. You said, and you said something that every great leader I've ever had, like people that I would have followed them anywhere, no questions asked. You said, um, I didn't think I was a good leader. I didn't think that I was the best leader. And that's something that every person that I've ever worked under in military, law enforcement, whatever, private sector, was like, I didn't think that I was a good leader. I just took care of my people and did my job. Something along those lines. That's, that's, well, a, that's you, a key of... If a, you, it, it takes a little while to understand that, I, at least for me it did, to understand that most people, most, um, 
want to do the job that they were hired to do mm-hmm. and they want to be they want to do the job right they don't they don't want somebody to be pushing their thumb down on them mm-hmm. and forcing them to do their job which is kind of kind of what you guys alluded to as far as like maybe the old culture on yeah. your team right yes it's, it's very it's very t- I, I i liken it to uh you know a person who is forced to live under a a dictatorship. Yeah. Old Soviet Russia, current day North Korea. Sure. Perhaps Iran, China, some other places. Mm -hmm. Let's go Brandon maybe, right? (laughs) The more, the more. I may bleep that. And that's fine. Please do. The the more dictatorial it is. Sure. And the more top down it is and the less choice you have, the, the worse it is to actually function as a human being. And, 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 you know, I, I don't, I don't claim to know this very deeply, but the reading that I've done about, like, you know, we, 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 we like to call ourselves in the United States land of the free. Sure. Liberty, liberty loving, barrel-chested freedom fighters, blah, 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 right? Well, what does that actually mean? And right. you start digging into the actual root meaning of the word to have liberty, to have freedom of movement. It goes all the way down to what your, what your actual thoughts are Mm -hmm. you can have your own thoughts and exercise your own thoughts and that's most people don't even understand especially like young kids first coming in the army or even even young ncos right it's probably into my 30s before i even had a decent grasp of this yeah or maybe later than that even and they don't they don't even know what they but they just know it's like when it's not the way it needs to be their life is miserable and they're pissed off and it sucks because that guy that's got his boot on manic on my neck is, is an asshole. Sure. They can't, they can't even say, you know, the, the, the Socratic version of whatever that would, <laughs> would be. Right. They just, right. they just know it, it's not right. I don't know what right is and I can't define it in textbook. Like I'm a college professor, but I know what fucked up looks like. And this is more that than it is what's correct. Right. And that's, I, like I've said, we value, your experience and guidance like to such a huge degree that uh, I'm glad that we, I can call you a friend I appreciate um, and you we can, that. we can bounce this stuff off you. Cause I know there's lots of other guys on the team, guys that aren't even on the team anymore that you still have developed these friendships with that. They still, Zach was supposed to be here tonight, but he, he's working, he's busy with other stuff. And oh, he was okay. like, yeah. Yeah. He was like, Oh man, I'm so pissed. I'm going to miss it. So he was bummed. Um, we're like at two hours and 15 minutes right now, just about. Um, may have some so editing to do. I don't that's know. That's fine. So if you every, do too every, much every, editing, Raleigh won't have said anything. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so <laughs> my funny comments, I think there's like one of them. There's, there's three things that I ask every new guest on this show, and I'll start with, I call it the gear locker question. And this, I guess, let's, let's cut it into two parts. So law enforcement and military, like what's one piece of gear that like went everywhere with you, like that was your one piece of gear that you're like, man, this is one of the most invaluable pieces of gear that I've ever owned that made my life easier or just something that you relied on more than anything else. And it can't be like your rifle or your pistol. Like that's cheating. Most common answer we get is flashlights. Uh, I gave mm-hmm. my multi-tool. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I no, can add. I can, I'm trying to think about it a little bit. Yeah. It's hard. So I'm a fat kid. And I get super, super angry if I don't have chow. Yeah. So <laughs> I would always put chow on there. Like 
if I go on a mission without chow, I'm a train wreck. Like I will right. carry pounds and pounds and pounds of extra chow so I weight. And like just for me, because I'm like, I know how miserable and assy I get if I don't eat. I can so speak specifically that would probably be, that'd probably be it. to one shit job that we had where we were doing a high risk warrant service for another county that turned into like a fucking two day ordeal. And it was it went from like freezing cold to shit hot and we're sitting in the fucking like we're all scattered like all around like our comp our, our positions had been completely blown out of what we had initially planned to be in next to the truck over here this dude's gonna we're gonna call him out and he's gonna come out and it turns into the standoff and we don't even know well he was armed because he was shooting out of the house at us that was one of those times like is wow. he shooting at us i'm pretty like how awesome we're sitting there and i remember you had brought like a whole pack full of mountain house meals and <laughs> I had like a, like a three day pack full of mountain house yeah. and a jet boil and snacks. Like we started cooking up and we nice. Jeremy, Jeremy, our old <laughs> yeah, medic, yeah. he was like, he went to work. Like he's like, he's the medic. His job is to take care of his dudes like physically. Right. So he's like camp chef supreme. And he's just like cooking up too. meals and he's just like, and he's running them between positions. Like, you know, like, Hey, I'm coming over there. Like cover me, you know? So we're like, Give him cover, and he'd run over with, like, two hot mountain house meals. And I was like, dude, That's thank awesome. you so much. He's like, don't thank me, thank Rolly. And I'm like, holy fuck, thank God you brought all that chow, dude. I brought, I brought that stupid backpack with me everywhere. Yeah. Sean, every time, I was like, dude, we don't have enough room in our in our peacekeepers at the time. And you always were, were like, trust there. me, when we like, need it. Dude, when it comes, you guys are going to be thanking me. And I was like, this is the one thing I carry with me everywhere I go. I like, yep. I, and I bet he's never said that ever since hungry. then, has he? Oh, that was such a shit job. I remember he, like, he, the dude came out on the porch, and he had this, like, water bottle full of gasoline. And he's like, at first we thought it was piss. And he's, like, pouring it all over on the porch of this trailer house, this wooden porch. And we're like, is that piss? And he's like, it's fucking gasoline. You guys get any closer to the house, I'm going to light it up. So I'm standing there, and Mike. Go is, ahead. And Mike is in the, Mike's in the. He's in the turret of the peacekeeper, the old trucks that we used to have, and I'm standing behind the truck, and Jeremy's in the driver's seat, and I look around, and we're standing in like two feet of cheat grass, and I'm like, "Well, right. fuck that shit!" Like if he lights that up, I'm running. And Mike's like, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "Well, the truck's, you know, ancient, leaking fuel everywhere, uh, <laughs> and and various other fluids. Um, we're parked in two cheat, two feet of cheat grass, and I'm covered head to toe in non-FR nylon." So if this fucker goes up, I'm just running. Right. And Mike's like, right. you're fucking kidding, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm gone. That was a, it was a shit job. Not going to burn to death, dude. Um, so then what distractions do you have? Like things that, like you're a family, we know you're a family man. Like you're super dedicated to your family. You got two boys uh, and a lovely wife. She's amazing. She's awesome. I love your wife. Not in like a, you know. You're, I don't want it to come out wrong. Um, <laughs> but you were also, like, Jack talks about it all the time. There's other people that you are, like, the trade-up king. Like, you will turn, like, some free whatever it is that you get into. What was the, what's your latest acquisition? Uh, I just picked up another Ford 8N, so an old tractor. Yeah. So, And what did you start with to acquire that? Um, I sold a... Sold a Ranger to buy a Razor, <laughs> and this is leftover money. So this is I, I have what I call my my 
guess we'll call it flip up trade money. Okay. So like your slush like, fund. Yeah, it's like yeah. a slush fund kind of. So I think yeah, I sometimes it dives down the gun route. Do you do classes? <laughs> do you do classes? <laughs> I don't ask you want any classes from me because I don't know. It's financial kind of wisdom. Anything, but yeah, so I picked up this junk tractor at an auction, super cheap. I said it didn't run. Tow it back to the house after I get it loaded up. And uh, the fuel filter was on backwards. <laughs> Flip the fuel filter around, toss new fuel in it, thing fires right up. Like, right. So, yeah. Okay. Wow. And then the third question is sage advice. Like, if you had to give somebody that's coming in to say what you're doing now um, in law enforcement, you know, a new new person, what's your, like, one piece of sage advice? Stay humble. Okay. That's it? That's it. Okay. That's that's good. That's a pretty common one that we hear. Whether it be in leadership, tactics, shooting, like, whatever, stay humble. Right. Jack, your turn. Gear locker, pre-workout. <laughs> uh, I don't take pre-workout. I don't use that. I mean, many people would tell stories about my food habits as well as raw. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh Gear locker is like <laughs> ass wipe or toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, I mean, everybody's heard about like tactical cheeseburgers in my ca- cargo pockets and yeah. tactical burritos. And that's I, I, I have do, to. I do need to keep my calories up to function, just like Raleigh. As I'm just being one of those guys. being Jack's team leader, I have to make sure he's well fed. And I am conscientious that when whatever it is, my blood sugar, whatever it is, drops, I will get grouchy. I will treat people the way I should not treat them. That's why <laughs> I, I try to get you to go that's to lunch a good way to all the time. <laughs> I know. Like I told you before, I'm like the world's worst friend. Uh, you, you could call me at like 4 o'clock in the morning and be like, you can't ask any questions. We're going to go here. Yeah. We're going to cut the power, and we're going <laughs> to beat everybody. <laughs> and I'll go with you. And Jack says, whose car are we going to take? <laughs> uh, but probably like the most, uh, on a serious note, the most serious part of uh, piece of equipment is probably the radio. I okay. Mean, you know, just uh, you have to stay in communication. Okay. Like um, outside of firearms and yep. what you sort of do. So I, I had Aaron in for an episode, Dispatcher Aaron, mm-hmm. and I told her something that uh, lead dispatcher Jill told me a long time ago, like, listen, you can be close with God and you can be close with your dispatchers, but if your dispatchers don't know where you are, mm-hmm. then God's the only one that's coming for you. If yeah. they don't know where you are or what you're doing, then you're on your fucking own. Right. Something something along I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something along those lines. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, none of us want to fight alone. Uh, we're not out there to fight alone. We're right. Fight we're fighting to win. Yeah. Uh, it's not, not a a boxing match I signed up for and we're gonna go in a ring with, you know, twelve twelve rounds, established rounds and yeah. three minute rounds. That's I remember not what this is. When I when I was a young patrol deputy, I used to say, We don't get paid to play fair and lose. Right. Mm-hmm. Now that's you know I never had a problem. Asking for help, like, oh, <laughs> uh, send me everybody send me you've four. got. <laughs> I'll take four people. Well, this guy's big, right? I don't get paid enough to do this. That's a good one. I haven't heard. We haven't heard radio but yet. But really, communication yeah. communication is key for every, you know most of everything we do. So, okay. radio and then uh, distractions. Like what's what? Man, there's out, a lot outside, of stories about my distractions as well. Outside of you know, law enforcement and what keeps us, you know, what drives us crazy? What, what helps keep you sane? Probably working out right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the last, you guys know how I've 
been on a little bit of a roller coaster ride uh, personally with injuries and mm-hmm. um, just things suffered. Yeah. But right now, like if I have time, like I'm still working out consistently. Yeah. Uh, and I, one thing that I definitely wanted to talk about since you were here is the yoga class. Mm-hmm. And I talked about it on the last episode that I did solo and I got some comments. People were like, SWAT guys going to yoga. And I was like, yeah, you should have seen the people the first day we showed up. It was me, him, Sean, Jiv was there like in a muscle shirt and his fucking, you know, full sleeve tats, you know, <laughs> like I was walking along, I'm ready to fuck this yoga class up. But it has helped immensely as far as, um, because it's about mindfulness, you know. I think you went to one class too, that first one. I do it at home several times a week. Yeah, and like, I can't speak highly enough about the benefits of yoga class or like mindfulness practice, meditation, yoga. If you're in our line of work, uh, it definitely helps. Look into it. Like, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, if five big hairy knuckled SWAT dudes can walk in there and go to class with a bunch of, you know, middle-aged women than you can too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've done yoga before, but more in a gym setting. So yeah. it's a lot more stretching. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll say intense, but it was less of the mindfulness side of it. Right. Not to get uh, what would spiritual or anything in that aspect of it. But I mean, you know, when she's saying, I'll release your tongue from the top of your mouth. I'm like, she, how does she know? How does she know that? My teeth are grinding. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I just came from the office to go to this class. I'm like, yeah, like she's talking directly. Cause we, we go midday. That's funny. Yeah. You know, that's hilarious. And and Mm -hmm. like that mindfulness side of it, I never really experienced any yoga I've gone to. Uh, It was just more. So I, and I haven't really talked to you about it. Like, are you sleeping better? Like on those days when we do yoga? Oh, that I don't, I, I can't say, can't for, say certain. for sure. Overall, I've been sleeping better the last probably a couple of months. It's because you're going to yoga class. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, if I could do it, I'd do it twice a week or so. Sure. But, you know, Jack's also a family man. You got how many kiddos? Three. Three. I always get confused. Like, you and Ryan. I'm like, who's, who's got how many more kids? Right. Because yeah. they're all about the same age. They are. Um, how old are your kiddos? 17, 14, and 12. Okay. And Raleigh, your your boys are a ten year old and seven year old. Okay, that's, a, that's that's hard to keep track of other people's kids. It well, is, but uh, thirty one, yeah. thirty and twenty. But and seven. and Jason is also not only an army retiree, but he's also an army dad. Oh, right. Yeah, three three kids uh, total. Thirty now. Uh, thirty two this year. Thirty and twenty eight. Uh, my youngest one is still in. My my middle one, my son, was, was in for seven years. Okay. He's out now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew that. I couldn't remember exactly where they were at in their enlistments, but yep. I remember you yep. telling me yep. about that. Um, so what, what other distractions, Jack? Like, what do you do to shut off aside from working out? Oh, man, I don't want to sign cliche, but life is just really – my life just runs and dictates everything. Right. You know, even tonight, uh, as we sit here, there's you now thankfully my wife had gone to one, but there's two other basketball travel basketball meetings that sure there were two travel ba- basketball meetings. When my wife went to one. Right. Uh, and you, you, you know, you came from coaching baseball today, right? I was incorrect on that. Oh, okay. We did not have, I'm, but the way it worked out, I had to take care of some things anyways. Okay. Uh, 
but I did. Turns think out that. it was hockey that he was playing. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> something right. soccer. Or, right. Who so, knows? You know, I, I, you it, hunt a lot. You go out and I, do stuff. The queso king is in the out in the middle of the winter time, <laughs> no shirt on. You take your dogs out. Don't tell Beefly I'm shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still under 50, Jason. So I can, according to Jason's rules, I can still be shirtless. <laughs> yeah, not to that picture all. somewhere of him shirtless with that 50 cal. Yeah. Keep yourself occupied. That's so, the, We have one of the team photos last year when, like, we have one that's like the official team photo, and then there's one with Jack with his shirt off. <laughs> I got a treat for you guys tomorrow. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, no, I like to hunt. You, you guys all know that. I love to hunt. Uh, if I could spend more time doing that, I would. Yeah. Just some things are taken away from that right now. Yeah. Um, but I still make that a point to, to really drive that and force that, even though I think feel like this last year was uh, far less than what I wanted to get right. in. But uh, not just that you go hunt, you hunt with your kids too. Yeah, my kids, a lot of other guys' kids, a lot yeah. of other people's kids. This uh, will be, if Nolan draws a tag, this will be his first year hunting. Nice. So we'll see what we get. The draw is coming up. Yeah. So he put in for antelope. Yep. Or he owes he owes me for an antelope tag and a, and a, and a stamp because I paid for it. Oh. So he's been mowing lawns. Oh, so, so I'm I like, tell my 17-year-old that he, yeah. he owes me about $200 for tags. <laughs> for <right> tags? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Oh, with yeah. interest. So, with um, according to Raleigh's rules. What's what's your sage advice to, to new rookies? Man. Detective Jack. Uh, and this isn't original, but, you know, some things that have just been on my mind recently with some of the changes and uh, some of the things I've experienced recently uh, – professionally you know don't suffer more imagination than in reality you know, and that's yeah. not i got that from somebody but and uh have heard that repeated several times in the recent past and it, it just really f- really fits a bill in our in our line of work uh it, it, it's so negative mm-hmm. um oh yeah and it, it could go back from some of the things you, you were talking about jason we're talking potentially uh, tying to that um I just use our briefing table, and uh, it could be something as uh, benign as an administrator coming down and saying, "You guys need to wear your seatbelts." I think that's me personally. I, I think that's sound advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, you, even though well, so, and it's policy, it's so. policy. <laughs> that's you know, everybody, just saying. State statutes. I don't. I don't have to. I don't mean to be that guy, but it is but policy. It's sound. Okay, I mean, you can look at the statistics. We're more. I've been far more car wrecks, and I've been shot. Yeah. You know? Uh, I think it's just sound, and plus there's some other, you know, my personal views on that, that, you know, I want to protect myself and my family, and I'm going to follow policies. Like, I'm not going to rely on maybe some politician to say, yeah. oh, he's not wearing his seatbelt, and it doesn't fall into policy, and, you know, mm-hmm. instead of his family getting XYZ or me getting taken care of the correct way. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, but, um, no, so but that that perceived negative of, and, it, it, and you know, here you got, oh, they're yelling at us about seatbelts. Are they really yelling at you? No, they're not yelling at you. If, if people are yelling at it's you, then a, you're not being written up. There's a, there, That's like a personality or something. There's another conflict there. That's yeah. not something you did wrong or violated a policy. Or, that's the conversation I have with my kids all the time. I'm not yelling at you. Do you want me to yell at you? Right. Yeah. Like, right. This is not yelling. Yes. You are being, you may be being talked at, but you're not being yelled at. Right. So I, I, so that, that just seems to be a theme that's come up recently to me. And again, that's not, yeah, that's a quote from somebody else yeah okay jason your turn what's what's your piece of gear 
probably the most frequent. It's a, it's a two part, but you'll understand. The, um, I don't have one with me right now, but uh, I will be in a field jacket liner. Yeah. <laughs> That's he said earlier. We were talking about how fucking cold it is in my basement right now because I got my AC fixed. And Jason was saying that he had a, a one of the old M65 field jacket liners. And I used to wear, instead of wearing poly pros, like under my BDU top, I'd wear one of those field jacket liners. And it was like, man, I'd stay warm and toasty all day long. Yep. Like, yep. They're great. Like There's, I was probably guilty of... Um over the years, upgrading that with better stuff. Like there was a long time when I'd wore nothing but smart wool. Mm. Oh yeah. Shirts. Right. Yep. Um, or I would use a smart wool plus one of those. Yeah. You know, just kind of depended on, but it, there's obviously not if I'm going, you know, somewhere where it's really hot and it's August. Right. Um, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't bother with it then, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Well, like, like the same. I, I do if I'm going to the right place. I don't take them with me now because it, it seems that uh, every place is too warm to to warrant even having one. But, yeah, like the but saying when you is, need it. It doesn't take any weight. Yeah, you add it to your suitcase. It ain't gonna make you go overweight. Like the you saying know? is, home is where your whoopee is. That's right. right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Exactly. Um, distractions. Like, what are you? Um, I know you have a lot of different hobbies when I, you're home. I um I almost can't pass something without reading it like if yeah. we weren't doing this and we were they, we were just like hanging out i probably would have pulled like half of your books off the shelf oh yeah and just thumb through I, i've seen you quick. eyeballing my bookshelves over here it's a nice just book collection it's that's only parts of it, it. Yeah. that's yeah. not even all of it i'm a big nonfiction reader and then i would have to say just in conversations with you you're probably one of the most well-read people that i know because you'll be like yeah i read this thing um and you'll you'll point me to it if i ask you you know, you, yeah. you might not be able to quote it verbatim or know who wrote it, but you can point me in the right direction. We've had, we've had that conversation yeah. many times yeah. before. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is we, we, um, we have a, we have a small farm. Mm-hmm. So when I'm at home, you know, it's, that, that's, that takes up, I'm, I'm home with my wife all the time. I don't, the, the cool thing about being, um, doing all the contract work like this is when I'm home, I don't. I don't have to go to the office and yeah. work time at a desk. I, I'm at home, which so, means I actually doing work. I probably spend maybe a couple hours a day. Most days it's none at all, mm-hmm. you know, so, and, and that, that just cause I, cause I can. Yeah. I know in years past we've talked about gardening stuff. I'm, I'm no gardener, but I know that you, you dabble. My wife's the gardener and I, I'm, I'm the hired help. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, 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 I dabble, and she's the she's the, the professional. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but it, it keeps me busy. Right. What's your, on an average year, like how many days are you gone a year? Half. Okay. About half. Okay. Give or take. Right. Maybe maybe just a little bit under half if I actually studied the calendar hard. But it's it's plus or minus 5% of half. And how long would you say most of the time that you're gone on a stretch is it five day week usually it's um one week or two weeks okay i've made um i had one i had one three week long this year the only one so far and i don't i don't have another one scheduled for three weeks for the rest of the year and then uh a number of years ago i ended up by accident with a five week oh geez left the house and didn't come home for five weeks okay and that was that was the last time yeah, I, I won't do that again. Right, I'm, 
my wife and I both had, it was like, Hey, we're not, <laughs> we're not doing this again. Sure. Really not even four. Three, three is going to be the, three is going to be the max. You're still, still traveling internationally too. Not very often. Maybe like one, maybe once a year. Okay. Cause I know you just said that you just got home from a trip international. Right. Right. Back in the fall. And, and I, okay. I mean, that was the only one last year. I, I don't have one planned this year at all. Okay. Year before that, I, I don't think I went for two years before that, probably. Any any piece of travel equipment that is essential, like, oh, fuck, I forgot X, Y, Z when I'm on the road. I kind of cheat a little bit because most of my most of my travel right now is uh, I'm in my <coughs> truck and I'm driving back and forth so I can just sure. pull off at any exit and buy whatever I need. Right. Um, I've gone through more Mac laptop charging cables than I care to remember. Yeah. I probably bought six of those in the last 10 years because I... Literally, because I leave them in a hotel room, I forget to unplug them or something stupid like that. Yeah, and then um, I know, speaking from personal experience, I've seen you go through at least three or four pairs of reading glasses, like because you used to wear the ones right. that like click around your neck, right, oh. right, and they'd get tangled up in your rifle sling, yeah, and that's right. You just like, right. oh shit, I gotta go to Walmart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now I'm just wearing prescription glasses with uh, with with bifocals on them. You know, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and this yeah. is um, it's funny when you showed up on Monday. We've seen many different hair and beard styles for Jason, and this is yeah, the longest yeah. I've ever seen your hair, yeah, and it I, looks good. I like I, it. I, I don't know why. I guess I got a wild hair and decided to grow it out. <laughs> it looks good. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah. Like, we've gone all the way from, you know, buzzed yeah. hair Jason yeah. with no beard and no facial hair yeah. to long hair I mean, Jason. It was, with, it was like this the whole time from from uh, from 93 until I retired, and then I, okay. some for some reason, I retired and decided to. Get rid of it all, and usually it's the other way around. I don't know why I did that, but I haven't know. cut the top of my hair since December. Yeah, my last drill. Yeah, so I cut my shit back down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then sage advice. What's your sage advice for? I guess anything and anybody. You know, I, that's a. Um, I've been thinking about this one because I know I you, you gave me yeah, like, time to ooh, think. I got <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm glad. Poor, I didn't have poor Rolly. Rolly was first, and he was like, "Oh fuck, I'm on the spot." <laughs> And I don't ever tell people like <clears throat> that that's coming unless they've listened to the show before. Yeah, yeah. And they hear me yeah. do it to somebody else. So I think for 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 cops and military guys because it's what I identify mostly with, and that's actually the the, the thing I'm going to focus on. My answer is how you identify yourself, your your own, your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not careful, you can end up, as most of us do, becoming what it is that you do. Right. And um, it's. This, the way I the way I see this, the way I've kind of uh, learned about it, and I really didn't start learning about any of this until after I retired. Mm-hmm. I, I've learned this in the last six or eight, six six or eight years, eight or nine years. Um, you know, you don't you, nobody thinks about it while they're doing it, right? But uh, I was just talking with somebody the other day about this last week. I'm like, you know. No, no offense to anybody that might be listening, but a, a, a person who doesn't have to be physically fit and know how to do all the different things that, that guys have to learn how to do, they don't have to invest as much of themselves in, it takes a lot of mental and physical and emotional energy to maintain that for a long time, for, for, for the length of an entire career for mm-hmm. most people that's 20 or 30 years yep and so if you're not careful when you get to the end of it that's all you're going to be yep and i know this because i was right 
right or wrong. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a task to come back from that and try to make it so it's different. Right. Well, I'd say normal because I don't think the word normal is exactly accurate. It's just different. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys, people that do what th- this, this sort of thing, you know, a, a soft type or a SWAT type or however you want to define that. And I don't really, I'm, I'm, I'm remiss because I don't really have a decent definition for it. Yeah. But, um, to a person, I think almost everybody realizes how, how much effort it takes. Oh yeah. We, we all know the guys who were really good at it. It's kind of more of their identity than the guys who are not so good at it. It's yeah. not any of their identity and they're just, yeah, we, it is what it is. Me and Sean have had the, there, there's a, I don't know if it's a poem, but there's something that somebody wrote out there. Special operations is a cruel mistress. Like it, you long for it. Like you, you give your body to it. I know to what you're her. talking about. Yep. Yep. To her, to her, this, this, this thing, whatever it is, and, you, and you give trade repeatedly. Yeah. And it never gives back. It never gives yep. back to you. You never get, back from it what you put into it and it breaks you down mentally spiritually emotionally and physically uh and you can't ever catch that back so it's you know that's one of the notes that i had written down i'm glad you brought that up to to bring up with you about like the length of your career doing what you did you know i'm pushing 10 years on swat so's raleigh so's jack you know shannon 20 years in the military it's no secret that when we were talking earlier about shooting i'm still trying to be 24 year old drew that walked up to i didn't have to go through selection like i went through an interview pretty lengthy interview process the guys that were running the team knew who i was they knew my reputation they knew my capabilities they knew i was a shooter uh, and I was able to walk in and basically get onto the team with some serious conversation with those guys. Um, and it's not that anymore, but I'm still trying to perform at that level every time that that klaxon alarm goes off on my phone. Like I know, which I talked about it yesterday when I, like I said, when I was hat in hand, you know, begging forgiveness from my team because I was a fucked up team leader there's a set of expectations, you know, coming into this job and doing what we do. And if you, if you don't meet those expectations in your own mind, then you owe it to the team. You owe it to somebody else. So it's, it's definitely, I, I can't say that it's specific absolutely to, to us, to soft guys, to SWAT guys. I mean, look at firefighters, Jesus, right? Like the shit that they put themselves through physically, mentally to, to, just do their job every day. I don't know. We all deserve a clap on the back for it. But I would agree that you can't let it rule your life. You can't let it be your only identity. You took, I've heard several, I've read several articles that you've done about transitioning out of the military and back into the civilian world. And I'm, right. you know, I, I keep joking. I say it all the time. Like, I'm at that, I'm almost at retirement eligibility. I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Right. I mean, like, here I am, you know, looking at the potential of maybe going into a second career field. And I'm like, well, 
fuck, what am I going to do? Nothing else is going to give me that satisfaction of, like, I put everything I have into this that SWAT does. And to be honest, and I've said it many times, even publicly, the only reason that I'm still in law enforcement, that I'm still putting up with what I put up with in today's society that we have to deal with is because of my team and because of what I get to do on SWAT and how it makes me feel. But as I'm, am I compromising my identity because of that? Maybe a little bit. Yeah. So that's a huge point. Um, that's man. Yeah. And I think for, if I could, if I could steal a second one, for, for younger, younger folks, like, you know, just starting out in the workforce, high school or college age, early 20s, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, um, the woke culture on the verge of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to assume that if they're asking me for my advice, they're probably beyond that. Yeah. Right. And they, and they actually want to listen to it. But I think that, uh, and I, I, I don't remember if I stole this from somebody else or if I came up with it on my own, I don't remember. And I think you guys have heard me say this before, but you, you start out with a, uh, a bank account of credibility. Mm-hmm. And when you get hired on in a new job, the fact that they hire you is a small deposit that opens the account yeah. and you have to make giant as large as you can deposits into your credibility bank account. Mm-hmm. You know, you show up for work on time. You don't complain. You don't open your mouth. You don't, Offer unsolicited advice to your boss about how he could make things better that he's been doing for 20 years. Just show up, put your head down, work, work and work and work and work. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and and pretty soon, you're going to have a, a deeper bank account of credibility than all of your peers. And when you have a, maybe a, an aw shit moment, it won't, it won't drain your bank account completely because there's so much there. Mm-hmm. Right? If you have a if you have a terrible catastrophe, that's a different thing. You right. Might, you might make a you know, a giant cash withdrawal of the whole account in one day and piss it all away. But for most people it's you know, it's just a, a small little chipping away thing here. It's kinda like, hey man, don't do that again. Mm-hmm. But your 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 credibility is still intact. Yep. Because at the end of the day that's you know, when you when you start talking to guys that are our age, everybody here sitting around this table, you know. I wouldn't call any of us senior citizens, but but <laughs> grown ass adult men, right? right? We've been around the block a couple of times. It's kind of like your your reputation, your name, your your credibility. At the end of the day, it's almost all you have left. You know, when, yep. when it comes down to everything else, and it's just you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about your family and your children. I I value that higher than 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 anything else. But yep. for you as a person, you know, that's. Mm-hmm. Accounts for a lot. Yeah, I would agree, and I would. And that's how you build that. That's how that's. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of young kids don't understand that. Yeah, I had a one real quick caveat. Jumping back to the cruel mistress of special operations, like the time this week, like just this week, that I have spent, like giving guidance to the dudes on my team. Like I had this like kind of epiphany where I was like, I've spent nearly as much time mentoring these young dudes on my team over the years as I have my own kids easily, if not more. I mean, if not more, because there's times where I feel like I've spent more times with more time with SWAT dudes than I do with my own kids. 
you know, and that's, you know, it's that compromise of, you know, got to take care of your family too. But at the same time, that level of guidance, like me teaching my kids, trying to think of an example, like how to weed eat the yard, how to uh, fold laundry, you know, things that men need to know, like, I won't say weed eating the yard, but essential tasks. Like when I do take them out and go shooting, like I'm teaching them the same things that I teach my SWAT boys, you know, I'm using yeah, quotes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had that epiphany the other day and it was like me teaching my boys that I'm teaching my grandsons that I'm teaching my son's 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 that same thing. It's going to get passed down. But me teaching my SWAT guys that is going to save their lives might save my life, you know, like what's, how does that, what's more important? Like, I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, to me, it's equally important. Yeah. Just something that struck me the other day that I was thinking of a minute ago and forgot right. about. So. Right. Think, right. And seeing that in, per, in perspective and knowing that there has to be some intentionality behind that, mm -hmm. knowing how much we dedicate to helping other people yeah. versus helping our family. That needs to be flipped. Yeah. Like, it's just something we need to see. Like, we yeah. have to flip it. Yeah, talking about our identity. Like, I've spent more time with certain families, like, trying to get them back on track. Then, like, I come home and, like, do the same thing that I did, you know, at the range the other day. Like, yell at my wife in front of my kids. And immediately, like, oh, you fucking idiot. What is wrong with you? Right. You know, it's it's not easy I think doing our line of work and trying to run a family at the same time, it's, it's not easy. I don't, yeah. That's like three more. Uh, that's, we could do, I mean, we're yeah. almost, we're pushing three hours right now. That's we could do fine. another. We, we haven't, we, we haven't given the people a lot. <laughs> it's true. I've been slacking. I've three been hours. so terrible. Been pretty enjoyable. But when I first started this, I was doing weekly episodes. Right. And I would go, Every couple of weeks, I would do like two or three episodes in a row and have them in the can and edit them out so that I had an episode out a week. And now I'm like, eh, I haven't put an episode out since March, May. Like, who knows? Yeah. I've, I've been slacking. It's commitments and outside duties and everything. Life, life intrudes. But I do... I mean, I can't say thanks enough for you to come sit down. I wanted to give you a chance. I'm glad because, we did this. Like I said, I, I've done my research and every other podcast I've listened to you on a their audio sucks because they they call you in on the phone one of those was my fault right had a, and it's not a hotel bad hotel connection and was I don't my fault I can't say that it's their fault either but just like the audio is not great so I yeah. wanted to get you a in person on a microphone and yeah. have you talk and b they always get your fucking name wrong and you never you like me knowing you, I know that you never correct him. You're like, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. It's, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. But they're always like, oh, welcome Jason Bailey to our podcast. And you're like, hey, like, okay, I know. See how this is going to start. <laughs> like, I can, I, just, I can hear it in your voice. I'm like, I know that Jason's like. It's been so oh, wrong fuck. so many times over my life. It, I'm sure. I, I, just, I don't even. Yeah. Whatever. I, but, I was jo I jokingly told uh, somebody years ago, it's like. It might as well be Smith. Right. Same spelling, just pronounce it Smith. It's close enough. Yeah. Well, when Drew <laughs> sent me your name text out today, I was like, ah, I'd have never spelt it that way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I had exactly. no idea you could spell yeah. it like that. But yeah. I knew 
I'm glad you came because I wanted to, the other podcasts, like you might know some of those dudes. I don't know how you know those guys, like from soft rep or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't want anyone to think that I'm talking shit about those guys. Uh, it's hard work being a podcaster. It's a full-time fucking job if you're doing it. But I wanted to sit down with you because I, I consider you a friend and we have a relationship with you. And I knew that the interview would be different if we could sit down and talk with you Absolutely. and can pick your brain and yeah. have these conversations and just be like it is with us, just kind of off the cuff and relaxed. So no, I'm not, I, I, I appreciate this. I, I enjoyed this, this yeah. conversation. Yeah. If, well, For if you sure. keep coming out, we'll have to do it again. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Anybody Absolutely. else have anything for shut it off? I, just, I appreciate being invited and having Jason here. You guys are always, always welcome yeah. anytime. Thank you for inviting me. This was this was really cool. Was yeah. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, I'm I'm pissed that Jake didn't show up, but that's all right. We'll catch him for another one, and I'll have to do twice as much editing. Oh, I never get to, <laughs> I never speak that much when Jake's here. So. I know it's hard to get a word in <laughs> edgewise. You have like a you have a bleep button on your. I your don't. I have there. to manually go in and like edit shit out. All right, folks, that was episode 19 of the Doored Up Podcast with my good friend Jason Beefley, our first fully named guest of the show. Also, big thanks to Raleigh and Detective Jack for joining us, as well as my co-host, Shannon. Our intro music is In the Land of Rhinoplasty by the Jingle Punks, and our intro-outro music with a disclaimer is Wonder by Hazy. As always, thank you guys for joining us. Make sure you like, subscribe, share spread the word if you guys are interested in being guests in the podcast make sure to hit me up on instagram at doored up podcast and uh tell me some stories and uh, we'll get to know each other a little bit and uh we can do remote shows however it might work out i'm always interested so that being said stay safe stay frosty catch you on the next one